For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And Mick Mulcahy in for the week uh, for Neil Prendival, who returns uh, at this time uh, next Monday morning. Ryanair is now the largest airline outside the US. Ian Begley reporting in the Mail today. Very interesting story. Ryanair has taken off ahead of its competitors, becoming the world's biggest airline outside the US. Uh, Ryanair has scheduled more than 91,000 flights this month, making it the fifth busiest airline in the world. Uh, New details have emerged. The US dominates the skies, of course, with American Airlines, Delta Airlines, United Airlines and Southwest Airlines, uh, many of uh, whose practices uh, Ryanair's fast turnaround uh, was based on, as well as looking at the uh, F1 Formula One pits, uh, because the asset is only making money when it's in the air, isn't it? Uh, But they've become the biggest outside now of the US. The Irish-owned low-cost carrier continues to go from strength to strength, predicting a steady steady growth this month, 5.3% more flights compared to the same time last year. And travel expert Owen Corry, whom we've spoken to many times on the programme, attributed Ryanair's success to its ability to use its assets during global turmoil. In Europe, Ryanair were the only ones ready to go during COVID-19. They kept their aircraft certified, kept their pilots licensed, kept their staff in place, pretty much. And as each country opened up, they were in a position to jump in and increase their market share. In the post-9-11 recession, they grew massively because they bought over aircraft they bought over aircraft from Boeing at a knockdown price Uh, and in the global recession they were also able to grow massively. I remember Michael O'Leary in an interview, I think it was on the uh, short term, I think it only lasted five or six weeks, it was the uh, the Eamon Dunphy Saturday Night TV show where uh, Mr O'Leary gave an interview and Eamon Dunphy said to him, why? Why would you commit when everyone else is running from the airline industry? And he said, well I'm from Mullingar farming stock and any good Mullingar farmer will tell you that a good time to buy is when everyone is selling and a good time to sell is when everyone is buying. And he did some great deals there. Those deals continue. 36 million, or 36, 36 billion, millions I see, 36 billion is the largest order. It's been placed. It's subject to shareholder ratification, of course, uh, but it's the largest order ever placed by an Irish company for US manufactured goods. Uh, when finalised, this big deal that was uh, making the papers last week uh, will see the delivery of 300 Boeing 737 MAX 10 aircraft over the next four to ten years. Uh, that huge, huge deal. Uh, and, it, and it's a big deal as well from passengers because uh, these planes carry, is it 224 or two, no, 228 passengers as, as against about 189 uh, on the 737-800s. So this means there will be lower operating costs. And, uh, of course, um, maybe it's a PR spin. Maybe they'll take the profits. But Michael O'Leary is saying these will be passed on to passengers. OK, here's the figures. Very, very rapidly acting production team here. The Boeing 737-800 uh, has uh, from 162 to 189 passengers. So it's right on the upper upper one. That uh, depends how it's uh, configured. Uh, the Boeing 737 MAX 10 has between 204 and 230 passengers. So uh, if Ryanair are aiming for 228, they're kind of packing them in there. Uh, and you can expect, I suppose, Michael O'Leary to use um, silly PR to get the uh, the free advertising for the airlines. One of his master strokes, of course, uh, was to declare that they intended to charge one euro for the use of the toilets. This is against uh, European aviation regulations, but it generated massive free publicity for them.
so hats off to Michael O'Leary and to Ryanair in that sense. They are now truly pan-European. Uh, a lot of people say the service could be better, uh, but it kind of does what it says on the tin. It gets you there, and they are now the largest airline outside the US. Not fit for purpose is the... Uh, Opposite headline, I suppose, in the Echo front page, call for reforms as nursing homes close. Cork's nursing home sector faces its toughest times in living memory with a spate of homes predicted to close in the coming months. It is something, of course, we highlighted for over an hour on Friday's programme, Beaumont Residential Care Home. Uh, We were talking to its CEO or its group CEO. That's on Cork's Woodvale Road. It's going to close 73 residents affected. Care Choice Group CEO Stuart Murphy said... Uh, last week said it to us actually uh, energy and labour cost hikes and stringent HICWA standards are squeezing small nursing homes but it's the fair deal funding system uh, which needs urgent reform uh, so says and said one of Cork's largest nursing home operators. Staying with the echo an alarming increase in petty crime Owen Kelleher reporting that Cork has experienced an alarming increase in petty crime uh, which demands a response from the authorities uh, according to this Cork City councillor uh, the, uh, in recent months, Cork City's faced an unusual spike in the rates of petty crime, especially shoplifting, said Councillor Ken O'Flynn. According to the latest reports from Gardaí, the theft rate has increased by 79%, which is quite concerning, he said. Staying with the echo, Cork's uh, McSweeney wins award. Siobhan McSweeney pictured uh, in the echo. Cork's Siobhan McSweeney last night won the BAFTA TV award for best female performance in a comedy programme. The 43-year-old actress won the award for her role as Sister Michael. The eye-rolling principal of the shows Our Lady's Immaculate College, uh, or Our Lady Immaculate College, in Channel 4 programme Derry Girls. In the speech, she said, To the people of uh, Derry, thank you for taking me into your hearts and your living rooms. And she said a lot more, uh, as well as you may have heard in our news. But well done to Siobhan McSweeney on winning uh, the BAFTA award. Uh, once again in the Echo... So lots of news in the echo today. Leeside's first ever selfie is discovered. Uh, Do you know who took it? Could you imagine? Uh, It's going to be historical, isn't it? Historical experts have managed to get their hands on Cork's earliest documented selfie with an image dating back to way before the iPhone came out. 1902. John Hoyton Rutter from St. Luke's Cross might have been an influencer had he been a mere century later. A picture captures the corkman snapping himself in the mirror with a device known as a box camera. The discovery was made by the curator of Cork Public Museum, Daniel Breen, who stumbled on the mirror image in a photo album uh, bought at a local auction. The collection of photographs is on display at the Museum of, uh, in Fitzgerald's Park, along with pictures documenting the Corkonian's life. I wonder what kind of life that was. It'd be interesting to uh, delve into that and see what kind of life did the person who took Cork's first selfie actually have. Now, Podrick Hoare is um, explaining in the Examiner that the pair of 26 million euro Navy ships have sailed into Cork. Well, they've been carried into Cork on top of a big lift shift, uh, ship. The pair of 26 million euro Navy ships bought from New Zealand have arrived in Ireland more than a month after setting sail from Oceana. Uh, Oceana, of course, is Australia, New Zealand and some of the other islands, isn't it? That area of the world, anyway. Uh, the heavy lift ship Happy Dynamic made its way to Cork Harbour yesterday with two new inshore patrol boats for the Naval Service. The HMNZS, that's I suppose at this stage His Majesty's New Zealand ship, Rototi, and uh, HMNZS Pukaki. Uh, some Maori traditional names there, sounds like. The deal was first reported by the Irish Examiner defence correspondent Sean O'Reardon 
in, Ma- in March of last year. They're 55 metre long ships, much smaller than the likes of the Ellie Long Aaron, uh, George Bernard Shaw or Ellie James Joyce, and will be used to patrol the Irish Sea. So they're not going into the, uh, the Atlantic itself as such. They will undergo a programme of works to fit additional naval service equipment, followed by training programme for the crew. I expect they, uh, that they will need smaller crew. And that's one of the uh, attractions here. They have, however, uh, been detailed as uh, unfit for, uh, and certainly unfit for use anymore in uh, New Zealand in certain situations. So maybe that's something we can look into a little later on in the programme. But they're here anyway. Fewest available monster rentals in 17 years, also says the examiner, and also reports Podrick Hoare. Monster now has its lowest number of available properties to rent in 17 years, but cork rents have not risen for the first time in a decade. Just 959 homes were available to rent across the uh, country at the start of this month, one of the three lowest monthly totals going back to 2006. Daft.ie's rental price report for the first quarter of the year found. And while uh, rent increases are going down um, and are, are even, I, I suppose, just plateauing, uh, because they are so high. The average market rent nationwide between January and March stands at €1,750 Euros per month, the report said. That's up from 1387 in the first quarter uh, quarter of 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic was in its earlier stages. Check it out in the Examiner. And staying with the Examiner and going to the front page, Flotels being considered for homeless refugees. Uh, interesting uh, and stark uh, numbers uh, given on radio this morning by um, the responsible minister, uh, Roderick O'Gorman. This time last year, we had 8,500 uh, asylum seekers stroke refugees looking for the protection of the state here. Now it's 84,000. 8,500 to 84,000. That's an almost 1,000% increase. But the government is considering sheltering refugees by procuring barges uh, which can offer floating accommodation. It comes as Integration Minister Roderick O'Gorman and Justice Minister Simon Harris will meet with Garda Commissioner Drew Harris this week following a vi- uh, the violent scenes at a protest on Dublin Sandwith Street in which asylum seekers' uh, belongings were set on fire. Four large sites are due to come on stream in two weeks' time, including uh, repurposed office buildings. Three units in Dublin and one in Clare, are expected to significantly reduce the number of international protection applicants uh, that have not been offered state accommodation. Officials are now examining what the British government has done in Dorset, where they have used a three-storey barge to house hundreds of asylum seekers. Does that barge have to be tied up on land? Is it anchored in the middle of a bay? How does it uh, secure protection from the elements here as we approach another winter in four or five months time uh, or are they anchored off and use ferries to get in and out That has uh, none of that has been made clear but it's an interesting uh, if possibly unwelcome development uh, for coastal communities if uh, flotels are going to be used instead of hotels God knows there's few enough hotel beds uh, left in the country at the moment which is the subject of another discussion uh, and uh, is worrying the tourism industry refugee supporters have grave concerns says the Sun today uh, after thugs burnt their tents down Yobbs targeted a group of migrants who were camping on Dublin Sandwith Street on Friday night far right target asylum seekers is that headline in the Sun to the independent and six Irish dead in two years 
as medical tourism visits soar. Hospitals are also seeing growing numbers admitted to A&E with complications on their return, say surgeons. And I know Neil and the team have covered this extensively over the last few months, but six Irish people have died in total uh, and uh, abroad over a period of two years after travelling for medical or cosmetic procedures, new figures show. Last year, four people died after medical tourism visits, uh, while two people lost their lives in 2021. If you're ever coming in on the Turkish Airlines flight from Istanbul to Dublin, you'll see a lot of guys, mostly guys, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a girl actually, but so let's say all guys, not being sexist, but uh, with purple heads. Uh, and that must be some, something to do with uh, whatever they prepare the head with. But the purple remains. A lot of them, um, a lot of them wear hats and that. Uh, but you'll see a good 5 to 10% of the airplane uh, have purple heads. And that's from the hair transplant procedures uh, that are very, very popular in Istanbul. So if you ever have occasion to be on the Turkish Airlines flight from Istanbul to Dublin, look out for all the purple heads. There's a marked increase in the number of people choosing to travel abroad for procedures. The Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, the R- uh, CSI, and it said its members have begun to see increasing numbers of patients admitted through emergency departments with complications after returning home. Uh, but if you're going to stop the practice, you need to even up the costs. Uh, the costs here exponentially higher than they are abroad. And for those who are intending to do the money saving, uh, you've got to weigh up the procedures and the safety against that which you would be afforded here. So it's a bit of a seesaw effect. Some hospitals seeing a near threefold increase in people requiring emergency treatment in the last three years when uh, complications occur after medical procedures abroad uh, ultimately have gone wrong. It's happy hour. Rural pubs are bouncing back and busier than before the pandemic. Front page of the Mirror is screaming that at us. Rural pubs, uh, which face the death knell during lockdowns, are doing more business now than before the pandemic. It's revealed. Let's fly through some of the rest of them. Rory's wife not out for revenge. Nicholas said the GAA knew all about abuse. The wife of high-profile GAA manager Rory Gallagher has said she did not go public with domestic abuse claims for revenge. Uh, so he would lose his job. Fears over hay fever, medicines shortage. Uh, we covered this same time last year. Thousands at risk of seasonal allergy as demand outstrips supply for over-the-counter remedies. The mail has, we send far fewer people to jail here. Ireland has the seventh lowest number of prisoners. I imagine that's per head of capita in the EU. And let's take one more. IKEA shoppers now able to collect their orders from three Tesco stores. IKEA shoppers will be able to pick up their orders from three Tesco stores in Ireland from this week. One of them is in Cork, I think. The Swedish retail giant also plans to roll out the new Collect Near You trial service to six other Tesco locations around the country later in the month. The three initial locations where customers will be able to collect their IKEA orders are Mitchellstown in County Cork, Drogheda in County Loud, and Nace in County Kildare. So kind of satellite big towns uh, to the uh, two for Dublin and one for Cork. I imagine there'll be satellite towns outside of Limerick and Waterford and Galway, etc. Uh, in the next announcement. But IKEA said it planned to establish extra collection points at Tesco store car parks in Limerick, Galway, Waterford, Tipperary and Wexford. Mm-hmm. And another in, and a second one in Cork over the coming weeks. The trial will last for six months and is part of a pilot programme that was launched in the UK last year. And uh, I know that Laura said she'd come in and she'd bait the head off me. Uh, for even mentioning in my little sarcastic tone, Ash, we all know why Sweden won the Eurovision. Uh, why is that? She said, it was quality, quality. Um, and I, re- I responded by saying, I'd rather put thumbtacks in my eyes and wander across the M50 in rush hour. 
and watch that. But uh, she said, um, no, no, it was genuine. I said, no, 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 no. It's ABBA. ABBA won the Eurovision 50 years ago next year. Now it's going to Sweden. Forgive the cynic in me, but could we be looking at an ABBA special or an ABBA reunion? I wouldn't be against it. I'd love to see it. But ABBA could finally be set to reunite after Sweden triumphed at Eurovision. Uh, so says the Sun newspaper today. So it's all there in black and white. Laureen set up the possibility by becoming the first woman to win the Eurovision twice, tying her country with Ireland for the most contest wins at seven. Sweden's success means the event will be staged in ABBA's homeland next year on the 50th anniversary of their win 1974 in Brighton with Waterloo. And fans reckon it would be the perfect time to see Agneta Falskog, Bjorn Ulvaeus, Benny Anderson and Annefried Listand uh, on the song contest stage again. Uh, ABBA had 19 UK top 10s after the Eurovision win, including Mamma Mia and Dancing Queen. So that's why I reckon Sweden won the Eurovision song contest. Cork's number one talk show, The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And let's go to our phone lines now and to line two and Fiona Horgan. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Thank you for holding uh, during that uh, longer than expected newspaper review. Now, we have a, a harrowing story of your brother. We'd like to help out. Uh, not something we normally visit as GoFundMe stories, but we want to know the story first and then we'll publicise it. I know it's already after getting traction and it wouldn't have any traction unless the story itself was so... Uh, it's number one, so harrowing. Uh, number two, so heartrending. Number three, you can see family a family being torn apart here by logistics and geography and responsibility yeah. uh, and, and trying to do the best uh, for someone who's really, really fighting for life. So will you begin at the start and tell me what happened? Um, so basically it was uh, Wednesday the 26th of April and we have a WhatsApp family group and there was kind of messages start coming through in the morning time. Um, my niece Megan is in Abu Dhabi and she had been in contact with one of Damien's friends in relation to a teaching job. So um, he had contacted her just to say that Damien had been in a terrible accident and they were trying to get in contact with his family and there was kind of messages up on Facebook. So um, they said he was very critically injured. Um, he had been in a motorbike accident so he has a little motorbike. His friends were saying he kind of generally drove very slowly on it and things, but um, like that, as far as we know, he was the only one involved in the accident, according to the police report, um, that he hit a barrier um, and that he was found by the police then. I'm not sure. I suppose like that, the police were saying there was nobody else involved, um, as far as we know, and I suppose Damien is the only one that knows that. Um, so he was brought to a local hospital then, um, and he was conscious at that time when he was brought to the hospital, um, but then became unconscious. He had a lot of internal injuries. Um, the kind of left-hand side of his body um, had kind of hit the handlebars of the bike. So he has kind of about 11 very badly broken ribs. One of them had punctures. He's lung. Um, he had a rupture to his spleen, which he ended up having to get removed kind of straight away and that was why he had gone unconscious because he had lost so much blood that stage um, he ended up having to get multiple units of blood and he's been on the ventilator since um, they did try to take him off the ventilator at one stage but um, he just wasn't able at that point he was in like as I said he was in um, a kind of a local small hospital and they were kind of trying to do the best they could for him but 
their resources were very limited. Um, they didn't even have a CT scanner. They couldn't do bloods in that hospital. Like family and friends had to take the, like get the bloods from the doctors and bring them to a different hospital for them to be run and then brought back, bringing back the results to that hospital. Um, so we were very anxious to get him out of that hospital. Um, it wasn't very clean or anything. I suppose they were working with the resources that they had, but for his situation, it just wasn't really appropriate. Um, so they actually had public holidays at the time. So from the Wednesday, so it happened on the Wednesday and we actually flew out on the Friday. It was as soon as we could get out with visas and things. Um, so once we got to the hospital, we kind of wanted him to be moved as soon as possible. It was quite obvious that it wasn't appropriate for him to be there. The room he was in, like the ICU, there was babies being born in one section. There were people in and out after having... Um, surgery and things like that and it's like he was just over in the corner then and they just couldn't really uh, cope with the situation mm. eventually once they came back from the public holidays and kind of had a proper meeting about it they said that they he needed to be moved he hadn't improved he had been there for eight days i think they didn't really realize the extent of his injuries because they couldn't like they only had x-rays they couldn't do the cts um so he was moved to uh, Charity Hospital in, the, in Ho Chi Minh then. Um, they were able to do a body CT on him. Um, thankfully, they kind of said that they were confident enough that he didn't have any kind of brain injury. Um, but they realised then how badly damaged it's, his left lung is. Um, and that like his ribs were very, very badly broken. Um, and the space. So they, he went to ICU there. He's still like he's still on ventilator all the time. Um, so he's gone to the ICU there, and that facility was superior. Um, so that was the kind of following Thursday. Um, then we were actually due to leave on the Friday. Then we had, um, as I said, we had landed over, but he um, was put on the ECMO machine then, and um, they kind of did kind of bronchoscopies just camera tests of his lungs and things um, still hoping that the ECMO machine would help, it was just to kind of give his lung a rest and the ECMO machine would kind of replace the function of the lung um, but over the course of the couple of days they were kind of seeing it wasn't improving as much as they hoped so they ended up doing a big surgery on him last Wednesday um, so they were able to repair. He had a rupture in his um, bronchus and a couple more tears in his lungs, so they were able to repair that. But, like, I mean, he's still extremely critical. That was last Wednesday, so like that, it's kind of daily updates then. So he's improving slowly. Um, he's still on the ECMO machine, though, and the ventilator. Um, and he's on, he's kind of been needing some dialysis as well because I suppose his body is just in complete shock. He would have lost a lot of blood. You're, you're able. You're able to speak about it very confidently. Obviously, obviously, of course, you're across the whole situation. I'd be a blubbering wreck if I was describing a, a family member that oh. way. Has it sort of settled with you that it is what it is, and this is serious? And I, I just, I'm, I'm in awe that that you're you're handling it because he, this man is in a very, very, very serious condition. Yeah, I suppose I'm a nurse myself. I suppose I just completely. Ah, oh, that explains it. Try to disconnect myself from yeah. the situation, like I suppose. Everybody in my family, I kind of just said, look, we just need to get on with this now and deal with this as best we can. So and you're, you're the elected spokesperson then? 
Uh, basically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, of course, um, um, the family made their way in, in, you know, in various different trips over, over and back. I know your brother Coleman was over there. Um, yeah, when when we were speaking to him um, as early as last Thursday night when we came across the story, uh, okay, and, yeah. and 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 that itself uh, has been a huge draw on the family because there's a number of, there's a number of ironies here. The tragic irony, of course, is that he did have health insurance, but then he left one job to start another. Uh, when the accident happened, he was between um, yeah. getting the you know using the old insurance insurance the regular one that he had and being accepted onto the the program for the new one, so it left him in limbo. The other tragic yeah. irony is that a family member has got to be at the bedside at all times because consent must be given for numerous, numerous procedures, maybe even on a daily basis. Yeah, so I suppose like that, we had been there for the first week. I um, You're breaking up badly there, Fiona. Could you just oh, maybe move, move just a little if you could? Sorry. Oh, that's better. Um, I was saying, they, like, I suppose the way they kind of work over there, they decide something needs to be done and it's all a big panic to rush to the hospital as soon as you can. So, I mean, where he is at the moment, you're actually only allowed to visit for kind of 15 minutes and then you get to speak to the doctor and it's a specific time. Um, but that then you get a phone call and you need to get there immediately to consent procedures. So you can only visit 15 minutes a day, but you've got to kind of hang around and be there for 24 hours in case procedures need to be signed off on. Yeah, yeah. You might get a phone call or like it would generally be through one of his friends that's Vietnamese. Um, so you need to rush there then as soon as you could if they can't. I suppose that's kind of what happened to us when he'd been moved to the hospital on the Thursday and we, we actually were staying like the original hospital was about an hour away. So that's where we had our hotel and everything booked there. And we were actually checking out on the Friday, so we were getting phone calls in the morning then, oh, you need to get to the hospital straight away to consent um, for a procedure. So we were kind of trying to pack and rushing to get there as soon as we could um, to sign for different, like, as I said, he was getting the bronchoscopy and he needed to have the ECMO machine put on that day. Then, so, um, and generally, actually, in the original hospital, um, family members usually stay to kind of take care of the personal care that's kind of their norm over there, which wouldn't happen over here. Mm-hmm. So we actually had to pay extra for the nurses to do that then. Okay, um, and, and, and this, this of course, is putting an enormous strain physically, emotionally, financially on, on the family. That constant travel has to be undertaken, constant uh, spending has to happen. And, of course, there's the ongoing cost of uh, the ICU, uh, the intensive care unit, costing another €1,500 Euros a week. Is Medivac an option if you were to have enough uh, financial wherewithal to get him home? I don't know. See, because of the punctured lung, I don't think he would be able to fly. Um, generally, it would take six to eight, six to eight weeks after you've had a collapsed lung. Mm. So it's, I suppose, it's a conversation we haven't had with the doctors because he just hasn't been stable enough at all. Um, and I, I am not sure whether it is a possibility. To be honest, it has. It's something that we haven't really explored because sure. he's been so critical that. It just isn't up for discussion at the moment. What's the um, overall prognosis for his recovery, uh, you know, with the fullness of time eventually? Um, I suppose it's, it's going to take a couple of months, and she probably, like, it would be very difficult for him, especially the fact that he's so many broken, like, when you have broken ribs, it's very difficult to be deep breathing and kind of helping your lungs repair themselves after surgeries. 
so I'd say there there could be a couple of months in this at least, really. Yeah. Um, obviously, like that, once he is well enough to come out of ICU, like the cost kind of decrease. It's very much um, kind of depending on, like at the moment, I suppose it's the highest level of care. He's in ICU, he's on the ECMO machine, he's needing the dialysis, he's having kind of um, the additional surgeries. Mm-hmm. And, and, and before the accident, of course, he, he loved Vietnam, he loved Asia, he was there most of the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah. He was in uh, South Korea for about nine years, then he was in China for a couple of years, he came home for a few years then, um, and he was in Vietnam with the last four. So he'd made a lot of very, very, mm. which thankfully, because they have just been unbelievable, um, we, would have been, we would have been completely lost without them, they were just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and, and the power, of course, of the WhatsApp family group is often used for positive intent and celebrations and pictures and all that kind of thing. But uh, describe how the family felt when the power of WhatsApp was used to tell you this terrible news. Oh, like, I just couldn't believe it. There was a good few messages actually had come in already before I even started seeing it. And I was just standing there in disbelief. Well, oh, my God, I can't believe this has happened. And we were all kind of just in shock. And I was just saying, what what can we do? Like we, somebody, and there was kind of screenshots of messages that had come from his friends and things like that. And they were saying like, somebody needs to get her as soon as possible. So I just said straight away, I'll go. My husband was in the, in between, you know, he was changing jobs. He was actually off that week and he was going to be off a few days the following week. So I knew he was going to be there to mind the kids. So I just said, I'll just go. It made the most sense. I'd been to Asia before, so it wouldn't have been a complete culture shock. And you have the medical um, background. Yeah, so it did make more sense because of the language barrier as well. Uh, like a lot of the time, we had no idea what the doctors were trying to say to us. But at least I could go in and look at him myself and say, okay, he's on the ventilator, he's getting paracetamol, he's getting a different, you know, antibiotics, things like that. Um, just to kind of see the chest stream is there and things that I could kind of make my own assessment without actually having to speak to somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was easier. I suppose like that when they said about the ECMO machine, I knew straight away what they were talking about. And you'd be trying to figure out a lot of the time, like you wouldn't have a clue sometimes to be trying to explain. But um, the embassy had been very good for translating and his friends were absolutely amazing. Um, I suppose the fact he was an English teacher, one of his friends actually had been his student before um, and she had been so helpful and she's fantastic. Um, so we were blessed, I suppose, in relation to the job he was doing that it was English teachers and that they had kind of Vietnamese wives and things like that. So it really helped for the translating as well. Uh, well, well the, the, the story is powerful. It's gripping. It's a call to action for people to help financially. Uh, yeah. I, can, I can only imagine your family must be very well stood as well in the community and well respected because uh, you've, you've got a nice bit of traction on GoFundMe. But of course, uh, you've got a target to hit. Now, rather than call out the, uh, the gobbledygook that is a GoFundMe link, uh, let yes. me just tell everybody that your GoFundMe link is now published on all of our social media channels. Thank you. So people people can find it there. Um, okay, we'll, we'll keep in touch, I guess, over the course of the next uh, the next few months. Damien, uh, your brother, in that motorbike accident in Vietnam, uh, if you only peruse the list of injuries, I, you know, I don't think as a nurse maybe you... <laughs> Uh, you want to go into everything, but uh, and yeah. to a certain extent, extent, professionally, you can be detached from it. But this is your brother; he's in a very, very oh, yeah. serious way. And if if if, if you uh, if you want to read down the list uh, of how badly somebody can be injured, then Damien is up there with 
um, with the worst of these kind of accidents. So we wish him the best and uh, we hope that you hit your target on GoFundMe. It's on all of our social media channels for the Neil Prendival Show and we do hope that people will rally round uh, and support you. Family members need to be there to sign off on medical procedures and so it's constant travel, constant worry and the constant uh, cost, of course, of intensive care unit uh, payments and Fiona Horgan, thank you very much. And uh, when he does, uh, when he does regain any element of consciousness, uh, you might give him the regards of this radio station at least. Completely. Thanks, Thanks, Fiona. Thank you. Cheers. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106 Red FM. Now we've got an ADHD event coming up. Uh, Ireland is hosting an event in Cork this week to raise awareness of ADHD in adults. It's going to be taking place on Wednesday, May 17th. So this coming Wednesday, 7.30pm in St. Peter's North Main Street. And on line four is Keith Walsh. Good morning, Keith. Morning, how are you? Very good. Former 2FM host, so uh, I know you won't be nervous. <laughs> like, you're, you're long-time a... caller, long-time listener. <laughs> They didn't suit you today, did they? Yeah. Do, do, do you remember? You remember that famous one, "As Happy As," um, yeah, and, yeah. when the guy said, uh, "And I know people claim Keith that they heard that, and, and probably one percent of them were listening." To, you know, people claim, "Oh yeah, that big myth." Uh, when the guy answered, "As a pig and shite, Larry," Larry, <laughs> the beauty of it is, and I've heard the recording. The beauty, of, Larry Gogan came back and said, uh, "I'll have to give you that." The answer was Larry. <laughs> because he said Larry in the answer. Anyway, Keith Walsh is a former 2FM host and podcaster. And unusually, for, it's unusual for me to read it anyway, you were diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 49. Yeah. yeah I thought this was something it. that would be identified earlier on. You, Of course, you were going uh, for a diagnosis for your son. Can you tell us the story? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. We, we, my son was having um, some difficulties learning in the classroom setting, so... We were sort of looking into that with the school and psychologists and stuff like that and trying to figure out why he was um, school refusal a lot of sort of Mondays, Tuesdays. and um, But yeah, we got to the bottom of it and it turned out he had ADHD and uh, myself and my wife were going to meet these psychologists, psychotherapists and answering questions and going through you know, lists of bits and pieces. And uh, you know, as my wife was talking for my son, um, he just kept thinking of me as well. So she sort of diagnosed me before. I ever got a proper diagnosis and it just kind of became a bit of a joke in the house, you know, that's your ADHD because a lot of what I did and how I behaved around the house, which I didn't really, the only time I'd ever heard of ADHD was Kurt Cobain giving out about his mother giving him Ritalin or something and I didn't really know what that really meant. Mm. So it wasn't in our fear of, like there's a fear and I felt it as a dad. I was very worried about my wife uh, really pushing to find out what was wrong with her son because I was worried about I don't know, maybe it's a historical thing, but there was something in me that didn't want my son to have some sort of label or, or you know, learning difficulty or whatever. But it was literally the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah, because um, of I course got, with, with, the, with the diagnosis comes the label, but with the label comes help. Yeah, he, like his support, his school have been absolutely fantastic. School up here in Kildare, um, patricians, and they've just been brilliant. He went from just not, he would sit in front of a, sit down to do a maths exam and just not write any answers because... Because of the ADHD, there's an anxiety that comes with it. Also, he'd learn something in the classroom, not be able to focus on what was the thing he needed to learn. Like, he's very bad at taking down homework, all this kind of stuff. But he went from not even writing a maths exam to now getting 100% in honours maths, which is phenomenal. You wow. Know? So, a lot so, of so would, would I be right, ADHD um, in children especially, the, the kids may have trouble paying attention. 
controlling impulsive behaviours. They may act suddenly, kind of without thinking about the consequences of the result of their actions, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's focus, really, and the focus, um, uh, restlessness, I suppose, very hard to sit in a class for long periods of time. Um, the, uh, the, a lot of people mistake it, especially in girls, the hyperactivity, they might look at a girl and go, well, she's not, she's not hyperactive, she's, not, she's very quiet, but it's a hyperactive mind, hyperactive brain, you know, where you just, you, you can't, thoughts are, you know, constant, and uh, it's trying to quieten that. But uh, it's focus, you know, focus in the classroom. And the reason that is because ADHD, people who have ADHD don't uh, get the same amount of dopamine as other people get from doing sort of more mundane tasks, everyday tasks. We don't get the dopamine from that. So our brain is constantly in this uh, search for dopamine. So you're certainly not really going to get dopamine in a classroom setting unless you're hyper-focusing at at that period of your life on history or something. Do you know what I mean? Or eating lots of chocolate. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my son loves football, and and he hyper focuses a bit on training and you know matches yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So it depends on your interest, um, and then there's medication you can take that that will help with that dopamine and help you um, get the more mundane tasks done, like you know figuring out your maths homework or uh, that kind of stuff. So you, your keynote speaker yeah. at this event, which is taking place on Wednesday evening, is that aimed at the parents of sufferers of ADHD, or aimed you know at the parents themselves? Uh, who may have some of the symptoms and may yet have got a diagnosis. Yeah, I would say both. You know, it's it's a sort of an information thing just to get it out there. And I think the more we talk about it, the more people can sort of, you know, relax about it, relax, think about it, maybe get, them, get, get themselves a diagnosis. But even, yeah, just identifying uh, things that may seem... Because uh, there are things that I would say about my ADHD and other people go, oh, yeah, sure, I'm a bit like that. Sure, I forget things. I do, you know, but it's, it's all of those things all of the time, you know, mm. um, it, that is the difference. So it's just getting the uh, information out there. And I suppose for someone like me who I suppose on the face, what you might say, is, is successful, as in, you know, in this country we look at success and think, well, you held down the job for a while. So, you know, it can't be too bad. So maybe I can have a look at that uh, he was on 2FM. That, that, that was my dream when I was about 14, 15. Well, look at it. I don't even know how I ended up there, you know. So it, it just, it was, maybe it was the ADHD that got me there. Well, there you go. But and ADHD, of course, Keith, is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Hyperactivity. Uh, yeah, I want to move yeah. on to a different topic, but this event takes place on Wednesday next, May 17th, half past seven in St. Peter's North Main Street in Cork. Actually, can we continue talking about this and maybe we can come back to you about the other topic? After yeah, news course, at 10, yeah. would that be okay? All right. Absolutely, yeah. So who, who will this event suit? Um, is it suitable to bring children along? Yeah, just um, whoever you want, yeah, because it's not going to be <laughs> not going to be any nudity or bad language, I hope. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a family event. You can um, bring you bring your partner <laughs> if you think that they might have ADHD. As I said, like, you know, my wife was the first person to, um, to, to sort of tr- uh, figure out that I had ADHD. She like she. I'm I'm a little bit odd in a way, and actually, radio really suited me because if you think of a radio situation, when you go in in the morning, it's all uh, it's all go. Um, you know, you have to think on your feet. You've got very tight deadlines, as in like a deadline isn't a week away; it's like ten minutes away. Um, so it's so it's hyper. You have to hyper focus for about three hours, and there's then when you're in the studio, it's music, it's lights, it's phone calls, it's people. It's news. It's you know you've all these jobs, really tight deadlines, you know one after another. And for me, 
um, my ADHD, it's, you know, lack of dopamine. I'm getting loads of dopamine off that, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I'm, I'm interested, oh, I'm into it. There's no buzz uh, in the world like it. No, there's nothing. Do you know what I mean? And and it was probably after the radio and then I went into, um, I worked for a company called Think House who've been brilliant. They're in Dublin, advertising agency. They've been brilliant. But in the first sort of like year of doing that job, I couldn't figure out why I couldn't do the things I should have been able to do in the way that they needed them done. But, you know, once I got the diagnosis, I had a conversation with them and now I'm sort of able to work in a different way, which really suits them. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really important that we know these things about ourselves so then we can have conversations with our wives, our partners, our children, our workplace, and explain what way we are. And no more than Finn getting going from zero to 100% in the maths exam, if we figure out the best way we work, we will be the best workers yeah. in your organisation. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you after 10. I've got a deadline coming up right now, as you might imagine. I don't want to be late for news. So Keith Walsh, no. former 2FM host and podcaster. Let's talk again briefly about ADHD and on the other topic I wanted to speak to you about after news at 10. Thanks, Keith. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Coming up on three minutes to ten, uh, start and end of every week, we'd like to send you some free food. It's with Offbeat Donuts each and every Monday. So if you and your uh, work crew need a Monday pick-me-up, you can start the week on a high, a bit of a sugar high, and hit the sweet spot on the show by scoring... Uh, box of delicious donuts for you and your workmates from Offbeat Donuts on French Church Street. So what you need to do is text or WhatsApp us on 0868104106. Usual drill, tell us who you are, where you're working, and most importantly, why you'd like you and your colleagues uh, to get a a Monday treat. Now, we're not just going to give you a box. We're much more generous than that. Five boxes uh, to a business every Monday. That's 60 donuts in all. So Offbeat Donuts is creating circles of obsession and making moments of magic. You can call into their store on French Church Street. Get texting 0868104106. We have news at 10 o'clock. On the way on Cork's Red FM. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And back to our phone lines and to Keith Walsh, uh, former 2FM host and podcaster and a keynote speaker at a big event coming up in Cork this coming Wednesday. Now, ADHD is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. The event takes place on Wednesday next at 7.30pm in St. Peter's in North Main Street here in Cork City. Uh, and Keith was diagnosed quite late in life at the age of 49 uh, it didn't surprise you, as you mentioned before, 10 o'clock, Keith, but uh, it is rather late, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a, there's a part of you that's like, oh, God, I wonder, like, what what could have been, you know? Uh, if I got to the heights of two of them with ADHD, um, but I think the reality of it is, um, I, I, have, I know my limits now. Um, but it is late to get it, and there is a sort of, there can be a period of mourning, sort of, you know, uh, you know, things you did, things you didn't do, uh, things you kind of hyper-focused on when you shouldn't have. If I'd known and gotten the right medication and the right treatment and therapy and all that kind of stuff, you know, would I have spent my 20s drinking a lot of alcohol? Do you know what I mean? So uh, it just, it, it, it's very interesting to look back and see who you were. And also, you get to forgive yourself for uh, maybe who you were as a child, um, not necessarily being the best student in a classroom or, you know, uh, not sort of fulfilling the promise that every teacher expected of you. And that's a, it's a very common thing actually with ADHD errors. Um, if you look back at your report sheets and they say, if he only applied himself or could do better or has all of the ability, 
but if he stopped looking out the window and applied himself, he might actually do well. Do you know what I mean? So those yeah, and, kind of comments. Did you feel retrospectively in any way that you might have been slightly letting your parents down or a slight disappointment to them and they didn't know, of course, what you had? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, like, I, um, I, I didn't... <laughs> I don't know. Like I just, what I always said to people before I got an ADHD diagnosis, school didn't suit me. It just didn't work for me, whatever. And I didn't know why. Um, And maybe it was just my personality. And like personally, I suppose now I'd be very invested in my children's education and knowing that not the school system doesn't work for everybody. So trying to like work with the school and talk to teachers about how, you know, uh, things could be done differently, you know, and I'd be very, interested in, you know, schools who have iPads and laptops in the classroom and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I suppose it shaped me in a way. Um, am I disappointed to my parents? Um, I don't think so, you know. They, I think they would have just said, oh, he just isn't interested in school. But once I got out of school and got into college, like I do remember one year in school, transition year, which was the best year I had in college because we were studying things like horticulture, we were out in the field, we were digging, we were sewing things, we were out we were doing photography, making films, theatre, all that kind of stuff. Very like sort of hands-on practical stuff that I actually, I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I should have known maybe, but there just wasn't, you know, teachers weren't looking out for it, parents weren't looking out for it. I know my mother did at one point sort of talk to somebody about maybe something being uh, wrong, not wrong, but, you know, different. And, and there just wasn't the, the, the education or the knowledge around then. So, you know, what, what can you do? You just get on with it, you know. Yeah, I'm always reminded when we talk about children, by the way, of that lovely Mary Black song written by the great Jimmy McCarthy called Wonder Child. And, mm-hmm. and the various things that children can show application to uh, and how they should all be encouraged because every child is different, of course. Um, uh, as I say, I wanted to talk to you about a different topic, but if you don't mind, we have a caller who'd like to talk to you uh, specifically on on the ADHD thing, and that's JJ, if you don't mind, Keith, okay? Yeah, no problem. Okay, JJ, good morning. Say hello to Keith. Uh, good morning, Keith. Hi, JJ, how's it going? Uh, not too bad, yourself? Good, good. What's the story, um, Keith? No, or JJ, I beg your pardon. Now, I've been trying to get diagnosed with ADHD with about a year now, and um, it's going round and round in circles. You know, there's no services in Cork, you know. Um, they're, they, they're, they don't know what's happening, and the building's not even open for, to, for the diagnosis yet, you know, and uh, to go private, it's a lot of money, like, obviously, and... Um, I, I feel there's no support available and whenever I get a call it's ADHD Ireland rang me and said like you know the only way is private because it's a new spectrum you know ADHD kind of really in Ireland you know and they kind of don't know what's happening with it you know and stuff like that you know Yeah I mean the the services really have to catch up quickly here um, because it would appear there's a you know big percentage of the country uh, that are dealing with ADHD and and other you know um, areas on the spectrum as well. The only thing, like it is, like you do have to wait, and private is expensive. And like I did go to a psychotherapist, and it was expensive, but I like he agreed to let me pay it in instalments. So that's a conversation you could try and have with the psychotherapist. Um, the other thing that I would say to people, and I've had, spoken to many people, have gotten in touch with me. Obviously, is you know. Uh, I got the book ADHD 2.0 and then tried to do as much as I could myself before I got the diagnosis. So if you just imagine you have the diagnosis before you have the diagnosis, what would you do? Say, like, 
you know, without medication, there's lots you can kind of do for yourself anyway. There's loads in that book, ADHD 2.0. One of the most interesting things I discovered reading that book about my own son was that one of the best things you can do for a child with ADHD is to encourage them, tell them you love them, and also uh, a hug every morning and a hug every night. Apparently that that touch and that reassurance uh, really works really well with their nervous system uh, and with their brain, the way it functions. So there's little things like that you can do for yourself, like things, weird things like balance boards, juggling, obviously exercise, diet, uh, sleep. There's loads of things you can do to manage it anyway. And then I suppose it's just a matter of waiting to see when you can get the diagnosis and or find a psychotherapist that will take the payment and installments. You know, that's that would be the best I could I could say to you at the moment, JJ. But yeah, it's not easy. Well, what what made you feel first, JJ, that you had ADHD? Uh, that's one question. The next one would be why is diagnosis so hard to get? Well, uh, Neil, um, I'm actually in recovery from alcohol and drugs, you know, myself and. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually another person that said it to me, like, you know, that's close to me and, you know, that, um, you know, that you're always, like, talking, you're always, like, you can't sit still, you know, and I never really thought about it. I'm 31 now, I'm going on 32, you know, and uh, it's really holding me holding me back in my recovery, you know, and, you know, it's... Um, it's I've been misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety and all that through the last few mm. years. Like I, I really presume like it's all part of the ADHD as well. You know. Yeah, it's common that I mean I would have uh, self-medicated with alcohol for a long time, um, and it was really when I stopped drinking the alcohol, I it really became apparent that there was another issue. Um, uh, once I went to therapy, stopped drinking. Uh, you know, it was just obvious then, um, and, and that's one of the difficulties with ADHD is people, you're, like JJ, you're looking for some sort of relief from your head, from what's going on in your head, from the constant, um, from the hyperactive mind, and and just something that you can, like a, a, like alcohol is a great um, medicine for it because it allows you to just sit down and have a conversation with somebody, or sit down and watch the telly, or sit and like, just relax for a little while. It's a terrible, also terrible medication because the after effects uh, is like pouring petrol on a, a anxiety fire. Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, it's probably the worst thing you can do hangover-wise because then you, you then you want to drink to kind of calm then hangover and your head at the same time. You know because the hyperactive mind and fear at the same time that's a recipe for disaster. So it, we're finding that a lot of people are getting misdiagnosed for depression and stuff like that when actually what they need is maybe something like a medication like a stimulant or something that allows them to operate within society, get work done, go to work, do their job, get the dopamine fixed from that, get a good night's sleep. And that's that's kind of what they're looking for with the drugs and the alcohol. Uh, and it's not depression. It's uh, an ability to live their lives with other people um, in the way it's sort of, I'd say, JJ would like to do, you know? Is it a kind of a catch-22 twi- uh, for you, JJ? 32, in recovery. I believe you're clean for about four years. That's obviously a path you, you want to keep walking down but you're constantly active constantly sleep disrupted uh, and now you find yourself not being able to afford the private care you need not being able to get it from the public system uh, possibly social welfare not going to top you up to go private so do you really feel you're getting nowhere? Uh, Yes uh, yeah Neil it's like it's going round in circles and circles with I'm actually in the Mercy Hospital with uh, the general 
uh, psychiatric team and it's going round in circles. They don't know what's happening and they're we done the assessment over a year ago and there's still no word and I only got told last week that ADHD the building isn't even in Cork yet so I can't I can't actually be diagnosed here without even the building being open Neil you know so uh. and people can be very dismissive of it as well Mick. Um, they just don't you know they, they, they feel sometimes I feel like people like JJ are dismissed you know um and it's very important that he gets that diagnosis because as soon as he gets that diagnosis, he can get on with getting a job. Uh, like, Is it possible, Keith, and, and, and I'm saying this from a position of naivety, just an open question. Yeah. Is, is it possible that JJ may be stigmatised because he is in recovery from drink and drugs uh, and, that, and that somebody might say, Ash, look, he's obviously done the damage. He's suffering from depression or whatever. Yeah, and also that there is a medication involved, so that it could be a thing that people are thinking, oh, sure, he's just looking for some other sort of medication or drug or something, you know, on prescription or something. I don't really know what the... What, what is the medication, and is it expensive? Um, well, it can be expensive, but you just, you, you can get it on your uh, medical card, or for me now, I pay a certain amount every month, I never pay over that amount, you know, so it's always the same. Uh, obviously, there's myself and Finn in the house on the medication, and I take um, a tablet every day. It's called Concerta, and I suppose the best way I can describe it is it's like I, like it's like caffeine, I suppose, but it, without the um, the jitters. It just it just gives your brain it gives you enough dopamine to focus on things, so it just sharpens your focus. It's kind of like caffeine is the best way I can describe it, um, and that just kind of is a bit of a game changer for me with regards to doing work and mm. being a better sort of dad, being a better husband and, and, you know, engaging with people properly and having proper conversations and remembering those conversations. And not I, being I'm just wondering why, why, why the system, uh, and I've had experience of, of, of the healthcare system over the last two or three months, it's absolutely superb once you're on the right side of the door. Just one, mm. wonder why the system itself is failing, Keith. I mean, he's gone from, uh, he's gone in a life-changing direction in the last four years uh, where, he, you, know, you know, probably every night locked out of your head and to being, I mean, not being flippant, now he's locked in his head. Yeah, yeah, and he's done all the work, and, like, that's Trojan work, because you would not understand how difficult it is for somebody who has that going on in their head to stop drinking, and it takes a very strong person to do that, and we've seen lots of people who just don't ever get to do, or, or who can't, who don't have the strength, but a lot of the times in this country, we look at things like alcohol and drug abuse, and that's all we see. We don't realise that that's medication for that person. That's the medication that person needs to allow them to stay alive. I remember going to a doctor at one point and saying, look, I drink a lot at the weekends and stuff, stuff like that. You know, I really, really want to knock that on the head. I said, I, I have enough willpower to not drink during the week. And, you know, I have enough, you know, I get enough whatever. Work is important enough for me to not drink during the week. But at the weekends, I drink a bit too, you know, I feel like a problem there. And he was saying, look, fine. You know, at some stage, you might be able to give it up. But he said that, Alcohol has probably kept you going, positively kept you alive till now. So don't. So, so people just need to look at people like JJ a little bit differently. Here's a man struggling to stay alive and trying to do the right thing as a person, uh, right thing by society, but he can't function without something, um, and he needs his medication. And the medication, the only medication available to him is alcohol and drugs. And that's, that's all that's happening there. I just wonder, you know, would there be any medical professional listening or a spouse of a medical professional who may pay this forward a little bit for JJ's life and say, mm -hmm. look, we'll offer the assessment. Um, we know you can't afford it, so we're not going to charge for it. 
if we could put people like that in touch and, and, and get JJ on the right pathway, wouldn't that be brilliant? Yeah, it'd be great. Like, I mean, I, I, I'd love to I'll see if, if there's anybody I know that can sort of get, do, do him a good turn at this point. Um, I know uh, the guys on the Two Norries podcast as well are sort of very much involved in this area as well. So, so, so we'll see if we can do something for JJ. But yeah, definitely anybody listening, um, give us a shout. Would be great. It would make such a difference to him, you know? Yeah. That's, uh, so, um, we just need to be a bit more empathetic with people. You know, we see people sitting outside the, on the ground outside our supermarket and, we're, and all we see is the fact that they need to raise money to get, you know, a few cans or whatever it is. You know, uh, people, people give out about people sitting on the street and, you know, it's cold and it's rain. And if somebody has a, an issue, you know, give them a few quid, it'll get them off the street. They may not spend that money like, as, as you'd like them to spend it. But it'll give them the respite. It'll give them a bit of a break, and and, and that's all it is. It's medication to, to for them to deal with life, you know. JJ, will you, will you keep in touch? And we we have your details. Should we get some medical intervention for you? Uh, but keep going the way you're doing. Keep that four doing four great. year distance between you uh, and the drink and drugs, and let's see if we can get you some help on the ADHD, which you're pretty certain you have anyway. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much, yeah. Need, and uh, thanks Keith as well for the advice and stuff. Yeah, you're doing great, JJ. Keep, I know how difficult it is, uh, trust me, and fair play to you. Uh, you should be proud of yourself. Thanks, JJ. You're doing great as well, Keith. We have one more caller for you. It's like your own talk show here. This is, uh, <laughs> this is really developing into something. And I'm Mick, by the way, not Neil, but don't worry about that. Um, okay, let's I hope get. I called you Mick. Mick I think you here. did, yeah. Uh, yeah. It happens all the time. Um, so we're with Keith Walsh, former 2FM host and podcaster. Roz is on line one. Hi, Roz. Hi, Mick. How are you? Now, your son of 16 was diagnosed with ADHD at Christmas. Tell us all about that. Just before Christmas, yeah. And I just want to say thanks there to Keith and JJ for raising awareness because, you know, I suppose as a parent, I feel fierce guilt that he got to this age without this being diagnosed because, like um, Keith was saying, every school report that my son ever received was um, not applying himself, uh, easily distracted, uh, not reaching his potential, you know, and when I had to gather all those school reports as part of um, our assessment with CAMS, when I read through them, I was going, oh, my God, like, why didn't I pick up on this? Now, I was aware of ADHD, but my son didn't have that kind of hyperactivity. Like, you'd be aware of the extremes. Mm. You know, you'd be aware of the kids, you'd go, there's something off there. But my son was a very good boy, good heart, um, tried his best. Um, and I suppose my point there listening was that I wish the school were kind of able to kind of give you more of a heads up on things. I think they're not allowed to tell you their hard. opinion. Yeah, it is hard because um, you talked about your son being good and like we would we would have called the school about Finn to see how he was getting on. And you see, if you've got ADHD and there's a bit of, um, you also talk, some ch- children have a- ASD as well, which is, on, is, which is autism and uh, you know, yeah, my fourteen-year-old my, my daughter has autism as well. Yeah, yeah. and uh, again, very mild and just lately diagnosed. But again, I think the school suspected long before, before um, you know, before we've got around to getting a diagnosis. Um, yeah, and all but these look, things are correlated. So it's all genetic. So if you have one, you're more likely to have another. And yeah, yeah. First, first of all, you shouldn't feel bad because you know, like you know, don't don't you've done the right thing. You know, he's there now, um, but. It, we're, we're very good at masking, right? So we, I would have talked to my school, my son's teachers. The teacher would have said, "No, he's great. He's in class. He's smiling. He's putting his hand up. He's getting involved in conversation. Very good mm. student." 
you know, but also could do better, whatever, but, uh, you know, can be distracted. But seems they, they go into the classroom and they'll mask for the day. They come home then, and I don't know if this is your It all comes out at home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tantrum over a... Yeah. You know, totally not, not so much with my right son who's ADHD, not so much with him, with my daughter who's the autism. Daughter, yeah. She comes home and we just get fucking hell on earth. Excuse my language, yeah. right? We yeah, just get yeah. murder here um, when she comes in the door because this is her safe place and it all comes out here, absolutely. Yeah. And also the energy it's taken them to get through the day, they are absolutely mm. shattered by the end of the day, you know, that they just managed. Yeah. And that's why, like my son, he just didn't want to go to school, uh, you know, in the morning. It was, it was, it was hellish. But, but, you know, once you get it figured out, and that's where, that's, you've done that now, you, like, you figure it out, and, and, and especially at a certain age, like, if they get to 15, 16, 17, 18, and they start drinking or smoke cannabis or whatever, and they find yeah. that's a relief for them, that's, yeah. if you can get it before then, before they discover Absolutely, other forms yeah. of medicine, you know, it's much he's better. On, he's on a waiting list. It, we, we, we have an appointment now next week, actually, with Cam's, and he's going to be on some form of Ritalin then or something. He's on the melatonin tells him sleep at night that the GP was able to prescribe, but the GP right, can't yeah. prescribe the... I don't um, think you can get melatonin in Ireland, Ross, can you? Yeah, the GP was able to prescribe melatonin for him because when we, when we first started, when we eventually, you know, with the waiting list here, when we eventually got seen with cams and stuff, um, Daniel was saying how he can't sleep at night. His brain never shuts off, you know, just raising yeah. thoughts and he'll think, oh, I haven't got a jumper, and he'll get up and he looks for the jumper for school. And then while he opens the purse, he'll see, oh, there's um, that battery I meant to put into my Walkman or into my whatever, you know. And he just, one thing will lead to another, to another, to another, to another. Um, Daniel's also type 1 diabetic, um, so he's a lot going on. And his physical health is suffering because of this, because he can't manage his diabetes. He can't remember take his injection or to fill fill up his pump or to replace his, blood glucose meter that's on his arm you know he's just it's it, life is exhausting for him you know yeah. he goes through one thing and it, it just it's just a constant thing but we when we first went to cams and they were uh, on about putting him on the ritual and they said when his days calm down his sleep pattern will become more regulated but we mm. were waiting so long to get this final appointment to get him on medication that um and he's awake just he's just coming up in the middle of it like I wake up tonight, I'm like, what's the noise? He's going to the bathroom, but he has to bang the walls as he walks to the bathroom. He's this outburst just coming through his, like, physical mm. outburst that he just has to shake out through his hands and stuff. So he's, he just bang the walls as he walks to the bathroom. And he doesn't mean to wake us all or anything, but he is, you know? Um, so, and he also, like, he's very embarrassed in school because he said he just finds himself standing up. In the middle yeah. of the class, the teacher will be talking. Do, do any of the up. teachers give you a heads up on that, Ros? Or no, are, are, are they so restricted what, now on what they can and can't report because of... This is what I feel. Now, the secondary school have been outstanding. And the primary school, were, you know, the, it's a great, it was a great primary school he went through too. But like when you're saying don't feel guilty, Keith, I remember, I suppose if he was my third child, I suppose my first child, you know, you're, lear- you, you're trusting the teachers, you're trusting the system. And I remember going into mm. his first class, um, you know, parent-teacher meeting and I walked up to this the teacher's desk and I sat down and it was an old school teacher you know and he said to me look around there now Miss Buckley he said look behind you and I turned around he goes that's Daniel's desk and he had one little desk up in the middle like right in front of his desk with a chair and he said that and that's where my son was being put every day to sit because he couldn't sit the rest of them were sitting in groups of four or six around kind of you know 
groups of tables. They're all sitting around in this cubes, like, and my son was being put up the front. And instead of me thinking, well, that can't be right. Why should he be, you know, I felt, oh, what am I doing wrong that my yeah. son can't sit in class and pay attention? Yeah. You know, and it's a generational thing because I remember these stories going back through my family of family members being, you know, and it was a joke, but like we just didn't have the knowledge then. It was ignorance. Mm. You know, I, I, like I'm of an age, Roz, where I can remember the dunce's hat. Yeah, absolutely, you know. And, and I remember a girl in school at me every day, like, and the teacher used to make her stand up and say, I just couldn't be bothered. Why isn't your homework yeah. done? Ros, can I just pick up on one, one thing you said there because it may help parents and, and um, I've come across melatonin before. It, melatonin is, um, is what your body produces to sleep naturally. Yeah, it's a natural so it's, it's, hormone. It's a yeah. natural hormone. It's not available yeah. here or not over the counter uh, to my it understanding. Is, no, it's not over the counter but the doctor could prescribe it. Yeah, so it's just something and parents she, might, may need to be aware of. You can get it over the yeah. counter in the USA. Yeah, you can't get it over the counter here but we've used it for no, years on sailing trips. You know, when you have to get your sleep yeah. to go and watch and that kind of thing, you need to sleep. Okay. And, and melatonin, like sleeping tablets can be highly, highly addictive. Melatonin is a natural sleeping supplement. Absolutely. That, that, and that I've heard of it benefit. again. I've heard of it through the autism groups that I'm in for my daughter. I've heard of it through that because a lot of those children are on melatonin. To help, you know, a lot of children with autism. And you talk about two, three, four-year-olds that are running around out screaming at night time. Thank God my, I don't have that. Um, but I've heard of it through, through those groups, so I knew what to ask for. My daughter with autism isn't on melatonin, but for my son, it just, and I also, he's very, um, like, he's very, uh, oh, I don't know what the word is, but it was also a placebo effect. When he was told this will help you sleep, whether it mm. actually physically worked or mentally worked, but he felt something's going to make me close my eyes today and go to sleep. And sure. uh, it's, it's, working, it's working great for him. And it's not, he has no, um, like he wakes up during the night if his blood sugars go low and he needs to go up and deal with that, he still does that. It's not, it doesn't put you into a, like a sleep, like you said, both the sleeping tablets, it doesn't, it's not really. Um, it helps not, you get to sleep, it doesn't keep you asleep. Yeah. It helps you get, yeah, and it's, it's mm. not knocking you out as such. Yeah. Just, Roz, were you aware of this event happening on Wednesday evening? Do you think it would be of value to you? Do you think you might I heard, attend? I knew nothing about it. Um, I, I, I actually only picked up the conversation there um, midway through, so I know uh, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm interested to find out more about it, basically. Um, I'm currently on a, a Zoom thing every Wednesday with, uh, it's a parenting course and it's for kids with all sorts of things with ADHD, whatever, but it's through CAMS. It's fantastic. It's I've learned so much yeah. and I, what, one thing that always sticks with me because it's very frustrating as a parent, you know, and you're, especially like, he's a teenage boy at the same time. Some, some of it's just teenagers. Some of it's just like, why is his room in bits all the time? Well, that's just teenagers. But no, not when he can't find his, you know, something that's very important to him. Like a teenager would lose their phone. Their phones are glued to their hand. My yeah. son, you know, is constantly losing his phone. But uh, one of the things that was said to me on this course was that, it's like um, being in a room with, you know, 15 radio stations playing at once yeah. and you're interested in every conversation, but you can't turn off the one, you can't turn off anyone to focus on one. So... There was a great... Yeah, you know, described it to me as well as if you're, like, and I've often experienced this, but I didn't know why, but if I'm out for dinner with my, with my wife and the two of us are sitting at a table, I'm listening to the four other conversations on four other tables and trying to listen to my wife at the same time. And I'm tuned into all of them at the same time. And I can't really hear any of them completely. 
but I'm getting bits of them yeah. all, and uh, it just—I I know now it's it's kind of a stressful place for me to be. You know. Does she understand that now? Oh yeah, thank God. Yeah, she used to think I was an awful arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> and that and booking, double booking myself when we're supposed to be going away for a weekend and I've also arranged to do something completely different with somebody else, you know? Yeah. Uh, Ross, you know, hopefully you'll be available to hop along on, on Wednesday evening. 7.30pm in St. Peter's in North Main Street. Uh, Keith is the uh, keynote speaker there and you two can maybe hook up and shake hands and have a chat. Yeah, maybe. that'd be great, Ross. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you. That's and thank, thank you, Keith, and thank you, Mick, for uh, talking about this because it's one of these kind of very vague, um, you know, if your child has asthma, if your child has, uh, you know, something, a physical sickness, it's, it's very easy to diagnose. But, mm. you know, a lot of what goes on with ADHD could be just seen as normal or, yeah. you know, just a, a quirk of a personality. But for any parent out there, if you suspect it, don't let it go. Get, no, keep, get it checked keep, keep out going. because... Yeah. It, well done, Ros. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Great contribution. Thank you very much. Thank, really appreciate thank you it. Very much. Keith, I've rarely done this. I've asked you to, to hold over an ad break and a news break. Uh, and yeah, I know, I know there's a subject I wanted to talk about. Keep talking about, talking about the next subject. Uh, can I ask just to hold on for the commercial break? Um, such is the lot of commercial radio. And then we will talk about it. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. It's Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prenderville Show. Neil returning next Monday morning from the well-earned Holliers. And an extended chat we're having today to Keith Walsh, former 2FM host and uh, currently a podcaster. Uh, before we start, Keith, uh, what's the podcast and where can people find you? What's it about? Yeah, it's just the Keith Watch podcast, and it's fairly kind of casual. It's just something I do. Uh, a hobby, you know, if you're into broadcasting and recording yourself and listening to your own voice, <laughs> that's kind of what you do if you're not on radio. Real conversations um, with real people about real life, I'm told. Yeah, like during lockdown, I did, like, there's a bunch of uh, really interesting interviews there with the likes of Baz, Ashwani, and... Uh, or you know anybody from sort of you know well-known people, but talking about them about life and you know real stuff, and then conversation with my a friend of mine, uh, Mick, which are a bit more light-hearted. There's actually an episode. There's, there's a few of them. I'm just, we're just looking down the list here. When when Bill Murray met your friend Mike and much more. Yeah, Mike is my friend, and he used to work in hotels in London, so he met all these famous people. He's some great stories. But the second to last, third last one, I think was. Just uh, talking about ADHD with my friend Mike. So if anyone's interested, there's probably a bit more in depth into it. It's around me discovering that ADHD. So okay. that might be helpful. To it's on Apple Podcasts. Does that mean it's not on Spotify or it is? Yeah, it's wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Now, Thanks. I know you've been active on Twitter lately in a subject that's kind of dear to your heart. Uh, and there's been an incident in Dublin. It's been on our news service, uh, uh, Dublin over the weekend, a fire was started at a homeless refugee camp on Upper Sandwith Street. You were active on Twitter about that, but you believe there's an element that are uh, nationalist and far right uh, mm. try, trying to work their thing, um, probably to curry favour and, and and to bring up a, a sort of an uprising of left or whatever. Can you explain where you stand on that and why you feel so emotive about it? Well, I mean, look, these there's a lot of... Um, misinformation and I suppose lies being told by people that are coming to this country either from Ukraine or from um, from other places like the African continent, maybe countries in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, coming here for uh, refuge, you know to find safe haven and trying to get away from uh, the terrors and uh, war generally is, is what they're having to deal with in the country they're coming from Syria as well as another country, so, so the Middle East and these people are coming to, um, to Ireland 
looking for help. And we are, as a nation, we are um, the land of um, lots and lots of... Ireland of the welcomes, yeah. Um, so, and we want to keep it like that. Unfortunately, we're in a situation in this country where we have a cost of living crisis and we have a housing crisis. And that's a whole other debate and that's a whole other thing for, that the government really need to sort out. And a homeless crisis. And a homeless crisis. So there's a cost of living crisis, there's a housing crisis, a homeless crisis, and that's all happening as well, separately. That needs to be dealt with as well, you know. Uh, so these people are coming into this area, into Ireland, and there are nationalist elements, and, and people need to be aware of this. There's nationalist elements with a right-wing agenda who are trying to use this situation for their own ends. So they would like to be in power or somehow make money out of this. And some of them are already doing this. And, um, and we just need to be very careful that, that this is, uh, that we are aware of what's happening. There are people in, you know, I suppose more working class areas in the likes of Cork or Dublin or Galway or Limerick or the big cities who are looking at their lot and what the government are doing for them and the fact that they can't get housing or they can't, they, they can't afford to live or they can't afford this and they can't afford that. You know, services obviously are a problem as well. And then there's people coming in going, well, actually, you know what? It's, you know, these people that are coming into the country, they're taking houses off you, they're taking money off you, they're taking resources, they're taking, it's actually their fault, so we need to get them out. And that's, a, that's just purely a racist uh, agenda, you know. Um, they want Ireland to be white, uh, they want Ireland to be Catholic for some reason, and they want it to stay the way, in inverted commas, it used to be, whatever that is, you know, this kind of idea that Ireland was this idyllic uh, country full of just, you know, white people, red hair and freckles, living a wonderful, having a wonderful time under the Catholic Church, you know, uh, and, and these people are coming in ruining that. None of that is true, uh, and why they're doing that is because they want, as I said, money or power. There's always something behind it. If you hear of any of these grifters or uh, people who are trying to start movements, they're on Facebook, they'll make videos, they'll put up on Facebook, there's a famous lad down in Cork doing it. Look into their past, because they'll often talk about you know, being worried about the young, um, young women and young girls and women of this country and what these men, these unvetted, old fighting age men are coming into this country and what they're going to do to them. Just look into their past and see if they've ever in any way helped any organisation, uh, any women's organisation, if they've ever done anything charitable in the past, if they've ever worked within a community, if they've ever been part of a community group that has helped uh, people find houses, if they've ever done anything that wasn't, uh, racially motivated is basically what I'm saying. Have a little look at their past and see if you can find out if they're like in the community helping people, you know, working in uh, women's refuges. If they're, you know, if they've always been at this campaigning for women's rights, you know, maybe there might be something in what they're saying. But but none of these guys are, and these women are. They're purely out for their own, uh, they're out for themselves, and they have a racist agenda, and they can see that this will work. If I use this, a little bit like Trump, if I, if I say these things to these people about building a wall and, you know, keeping people out, uh, I, I will definitely get votes from a certain section of society who feel like the government aren't doing the right thing by that. Isn't that uh, how you win elections, Keith? You, you make people yeah. afraid of something and you tell them who's to blame for it. Exactly. And you other people. So you go, look at them over there. They're, that's what they're doing. I'll get rid of them and your life will be better. And we saw it with, you know, the Jewish people and, you know, going back to Nazi Germany and how they got into power because because the Germans had just got out of the First World War. They had no money, and, the, and, and somebody told them that the, you know, the Jewish people had all the money, and if you just take all that money off them, everything would be better. 
and it wasn't, and it's, it's never true, but it just uh, serves the purpose for those people um, to get to power and to somehow make money out of it. So that's literally what's happening. And it's, it, it's, it's very hard for the Gardaí because they should be really clamping down on this. They should be putting them in prison, and I do believe that there are people who, you know, they are ending up in the courts, um, but it's hard kind of to get them on, you know, what, what, you know, what, are, you, uh, what are you charging them with? But what they want really is a reaction from the left and what they want is some sort of like war, a class war or something. They want to create some sort of uh, thing that they can legitimize their um, uh, like burning down of camps, which I think was a bad move because it certainly hasn't helped their sort of, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this to because we're worried about our women and children and our communities. That kind of violence doesn't help. So hopefully they'll be snuffed out. But it's just, it, I, I talk about it on Twitter because maybe somebody might see it and think, oh, actually, yeah, that's right. That, that does make sense, you know. But people get carried away with these things because if your life is a bit shit and you don't think the government are doing nothing for you and you can't afford rent or you can't, you know, you're not getting a house or you're, you're homeless, um, you'll, you'll latch on to anything and that's very understandable, you know. Yeah, but if, if you gather a group of middle-age, middle or lower class, middle or lower uh, income voters uh, and, you, and, you know, you, you kind of tell them, uh, you know, we long for the easier times we used to have. 1976, the summer was absolutely gorgeous. We had plenty of money. Uh, talk to them about family. Talk to them about Irish values. And then, you know, you, you point the finger at somebody else. Uh, that 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 can cause. I know. I know it's something that's very close to your heart. A lot of gratitude coming your way for the ADHD segment. Uh, you may get some criticism over this, but that's something you're prepared to ship on board. Okay. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I'm used to that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have a thick neck in this business, and uh, I came from the right industry to uh, <laughs> to have a thick neck, as you know me. Okay. Um. And and we both love radio. So you're finished on radio now. Uh, I don't work on radio at the moment, uh, but uh, you know, if the right thing came along, you never know. I work with. I have to. I have to mention Thinkhouse. Uh, advertising and marketing company in Dublin I work for because I should be out working, do my work now so I have to thank them for letting me <laughs> they often give me time to talk about things like ADHD, they're very supportive and I would say that to um, uh, anybody, do go and talk to your bosses if you're, if, you're, if you're concerned about this and do be vulnerable about it, do be honest about it because it can help with your, with your work and, and a lot of workplaces are very helpful Just clarify their name again for me there Think House, yeah Think House Okay. Yeah, so it's marketing, PR, advertising, and uh, I'm I'm with the PR department. So if you need any PR, Mick, okay, <laughs> if I need loads of it, um, <laughs> yeah, if, me too. If if I can impose on you for one more minute and, and and just go down a quick nostalgic road, I don't really have much time, but um, you know, back in the day before commercial radio, um, there was a powerhouse that was two FM. It used to be Radio Two coming at you. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that. Yeah, yeah. Vincent Hanley and all that sort of stuff. But there was a dream team on 2FM at the time, and, and they, like, this, this will tell you how old I am, right? Started in the morning, Ian Dempsey on The Breakfast Show. Mm, yeah. Then uh, Jerry Ryan from yeah. 9 to 12, then Larry Gogan, then Gareth O'Callaghan in the afternoon, then Barry Lang uh, on mm. drive time, the great Tony Fenton uh, used to be on um, the hotline. And uh, Dave Fanning afterwards, and then Mike Maloney, and Mike Mal- uh, Maloney after midnight. Maloney so, after midnight. Maloney, yeah. and and Maloney. O- over the course of uh, of you know doing discos back in the day or whatever, became friends with most of those people. I didn't meet Gareth Kellan until later in life, but I would have worked uh, quite a bit with uh, Ian Dempsey, with Jerry Ryan, with uh, Dave Fanning, especially uh, with Tony Fenton and Mike Maloney, especially. I think that was the dream team of uh, of the old pre-commercial radio two FM. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, it was like a, I mean, that's, 
I mean, I suppose, probably same as yourself, that's kind of what I listened to and what got me interested in possibly one day, you know, you know, doing the impossible and, and, and working on radio first. Never 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 mind getting onto two FM but but yeah, like Ian Dempsey, Jerry Ryan, these these were household names, uh like absolute celebrities, like the beats on the street, the when they went to a town they would be mobbed. Like, you know, it was like the Beatles going around. But they were really good at their job as well. Uh, and it wasn't just that they were the only kind of like pop commercial pop radio station because there was other pirates and people could uh, you know, get their kicks in other ways. They were just really good. It was a great lineup. They did yeah, a really good was, job, and they were kind of. There was a fame that, that that they projected. That it's it, you know maybe Graham Norton with it, maybe Ryan Tuberty would have it these days. But that fame that they projected, quite simply, just doesn't exist anymore for people working in the in the media. Not that that's a bad thing, I suppose. Anyway, I digress. We're way over time. Thank you very much, Keith, uh, and the best of luck with your keynote speech on Wednesday, seven thirty, St Peter's in, uh, in North Main Street uh, on ADHD, and with a particular leaning to its identification in adults. Thank you very, very much, Keith. Uh, Mick, thanks a million for giving me so much time. No problem. And, and sorry to your good employers. Thank you very much. Bye. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Seven and a half minutes to 11. Cork singer-songwriter Louise Barry trained at the prestigious Paul McCartney School, Lipa. Uh, she has been featured on national and international radio and was 43 when she was diagnosed with ADHD. Good morning, Louise. Good morning, Louise. Oh, okay. We've got a radio on there, Louise. Have we? Could you switch it off, please? I Has... don't believe I have. Hang on there okay. now. We definitely have, have an echo on the line. Okay, that's better, is it? it is that any better? Oh, much better. Thank, thanks okay. very much. Now, you were quite late in life at 43 when you were diagnosed with ADHD, and they told you you had it in a bad way. It yes. was severe, was the diagnosis. Yeah, so, um, just to point out, like ADHD, like autism, is a spectrum. And so it can really present in, in many different ways. And listening away there to um, Mick, um, sorry, not to Mick, to Keith, to JJ and to Roz this morning, that gives you an indication. And for me, I was diagnosed with severe ADHD. I was told that I have the kind of hyperactivity, but I also have the other side of it, which is kind of looks more like the daydreaming and kind of being lost in your thoughts. So there is kind of a, a double-edged sword going on there. Uh-huh. So when when did you feel you might need a diagnosis? Well, you know, the thing is, I, I think, I mean, you're you're born with ADHD. You know, you'll have it until the day you die. It's been affecting you all of your life. I mean, my mom and my sisters will talk about stories of me being in the pram and winding my hair around my fingers till the point that they were knotted. Um, it was in my hair. I burnt it, a big bunch of curly hair. So that would have been a form of stimming. Um, I would have had issues um, when I started school. Um, like Roz described, I ended up exactly in the same situation, sat at the front of the class because I couldn't sit still on my chair. And uh, looking back, it, it would look like defiance because I suppose, you know, I would have been sat in my chair for a five-year-old. I would have leaned back, you know, on the two little um, like stu- steps of the chair and I would have rocked back and forth. And I, that was my kind of my energy, my hyperactivity. But in that movement, I feel relaxed. I feel engaged. So when someone stops you from doing what you naturally feel you need to do, you become more disengaged from your environment. So like listening to Roz describe the fact that her son needs to stand up, that's actually his body telling him what he needs. And when the system is telling you that's not what you do, 
um, you do have to learn what Keith described as this type of masking, which is basically you trying to fit into the norms of society, um, into behaviours that most people don't find difficult, like sitting still and paying attention. Um, so it would have been affecting me my whole life. And, you know, statistically, they say that by the age of 12, people with ADHD have received 20,000 more negative comments than peers of their own age group. Well, so when people that's talk pretty about stark. It, it's horrendous. And so when people like JJ talk about having depression or he mentions the anxiety side of it, well, it kind of comes with, it's, it's not, you see, it's not a depression dis, uh, disorder or an anxiety disorder. But if you think about it, um, make for an instance, you're, you're wildly um, talented at what you do, right? And you know what you're good at. But if what you're good at Sometimes, for no understandable reason to you, some days it's just very difficult because you're not sleeping properly at night. You're not taking care of your basic needs. Or for some reason, your body just seems to go into shutdown. Or for women in particular, when you come up to your menstrual cycle, your oestrogen levels drop out just a week before your menstrual cycle starts. And when that oestrogen drops out, you have the dopamine that keeps you engaged, interactive with everyone in society. Mm. You don't have enough of it to begin with. Louise, so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to cut across you in mid-flight. You know what I'm not very good at today? I'm not very good at finishing interviews on time so I can give you enough time to finish <laughs> yours. Do, do, do you mind if I come back to you after new? I hate doing this to people, but uh, if, you, if you'd hang no on, problem. because I, I want to give you the time you deserve because I know you want to talk about the menstrual cycle and uh, the way that uh, a woman's period can affect the mood swings, if you mm-hmm. like. Uh, you, know, you know that cliché. Or, the, or, or, or that stereotypical um, men jokes. Um, but but it, it does have an effect even more prominent on those with ADHD. So I'll talk to you directly after news. And apologies for that. Thanks, Thanks. bye-bye. Thanks. Now, something more lighthearted. Uh, do you and your work crew need a Monday pick-me-up? Uh, we'll get texting for Offbeat Donuts. Uh, text 0868104106. Donuts. Uh, red Velvet, Nutella Rings, Offbeat Jam, many, many more. Caramel Crumble, Classic Glazed. Uh, East Cork Oil, Middleton for the donuts, please. We'd love them. Jonathan O'Mahony working uh, all around Cork with Carol's Ham Donuts. Uh, donuts, not ham donuts, but Carol's Ham Donuts would go down a treat. I'd like my sister Ashley Faulkner and her work colleagues to win the offbeat donuts and little learners in College Manor and Cove. They work so hard and look after all the children. Tracy Coughlin, Klein Diocesan Youth Services in Middleton and Carrick Tool. Valerie Walsh, an amazing hairdresser in the Millennium Hair Clinic. And we'd love the donuts for all of us labourers here, labourers working in the old Clifton convalescent home in Montanati. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. The Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. And back to uh, Louise Barry. So, uh, Louise, we were just before uh, we took the break for news uh, talking about ADHD. You were diagnosed at forty-three, quite late uh, in life, comparatively, I suppose, to the uh, you know the children's diagnosis. The psychiatrist said mm-hmm. when he got the paperwork back for you, he realised that underneath all of your presentation, of course, you are a musician. Uh, you were having a lot of uh, difficulty socially, interacting with people with your work, uh, even when presenting when you spoke. But you wanted to uh, especially concentrate on the effects of the menstrual cycle on women who may have ADHD. Can you elaborate? I sure can. Thanks again for that and having me on. Pleasure. Um, I suppose one thing to say is that, um, you know, ADHD is, um, you know, an impulsive 
clinician and I remember when I went to see my GP, one of the first things he said to me was, I guess you are very creative, but you seem to have everything together. You're not that disorganised. And he was kind of confused by it. But of course, by the time I was seeing my GP, as you say, I was in my 40s and I had picked up strategies or I had learned to put up with what I wasn't coping with and just think that it was a character default on my behalf or I lost self-esteem, you know, and I lost jobs and I lost relationships and connections with people over the years due to the symptoms of ADHD. So some of the really positive sides of ADHD is that most people with ADHD are very creative thinkers and they're well able to think outside the box. Like when you look at somebody like Richard Branson, um, you know, uh, a lot of writers, artists, as um, Keith mentioned, you know, Kirk Cobain, Amy Whitehouse, I know some of those. And when you hear some of those names, you'll also hear the fact that a lot of these people had some bad endings to their life and had issues with substances. And unfortunately, um, when you're living in the darkness of what's going on for you and why you feel like you're failing in life and why you've had 20,000 negative criticisms by the time that you're aged 12 years old, you're going to think that it's a personal failing in life and you internalise it all because... The world around you is telling you you're wrong in so many different ways, some of it very direct and some of it not very direct. And for me, um, as a woman, one of the reasons I like speaking a lot about um, this issue, particularly predominantly to do with women, is because it's just not out there. The information isn't out there. And when I look back at what I went through as a young woman, as a teenager, as an adult woman, um, it's terrifying to me to think that I went through this cycle each month that was as difficult as it was. So for me, I was I would describe myself as a kind of very easygoing character, relaxed, generally um, happy to meet people, very sociable. And yet when I'd come up to that week before my period, I would just become irritable. irritable. Um, I would feel depressed, very low. And I would have maybe three days of suicide ideation, which is a very difficult thing to admit. And most people around me would have had no idea because it was something I was very ashamed of. I thought something's very wrong here. But what I've since discovered in my own um, research when I when I found out that I had ADHD was that ADHD is a problem with neurochemicals in the brain. So you don't have enough dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine, which are chemicals, feel-good factors. And they're also those things that help you stay more present in a moment. And for a woman, when you're coming up to your cycle, your estrogen levels drop. And estrogen is like a building block for those three other chemicals on top of it. So... As the specialist describes it, she says you have double, triple, quadruple, nothing for that week. And this also happens to women after they've given birth. So, um, you know, a lot of women, this um, specialist recommends that 70% of women that are on the maternity ward that are suffering with postnatal depression, they should all be assessed for um, ADHD, in her opinion, because 70% of them will have ADHD and that would be the moment where clinicians can intervene and recognise the condition. Have you any idea through your own personal research how much ADHD, even your estimation, uh, may go undiagnosed out there? Well, you see, like for us, for instance, at my age group um, and at Keith's age group and so on, and even to some degree JJ's, like ADHD wasn't on the radar 
Um, and like we forget like what internet and social media and all this has done. I mean, the reason it came onto my um, radar was not myself, even though I have worked in the mental health field through using my creativity all of my life. I've always been involved in community work. I've always worked in elderly homes. I've always worked, you know, I worked with refugees. I have worked with vulnerable people in society. I've even worked with autistic kids at one point. Um, and I've written books, with, um, contributed as an ocean mental health books. I've studied some basic counselling. Like most ADHD people, we have numerous things going on at any one time. <laughs> But it was never, ever, ever on my radar. And as I discussed in the past, like you or I will go to um, a, a doctor or we'll go to a psychologist or psychiatrist. We might even go into counselling. Like, and I'm sure most said kind of thinking, what's going on? Something's not working in my life. And you go there with all the right intentions. And you're hoping that these people will give you the answers. But the truth is, Mick, that most professionals in this country were not... Um, informed about ADHD, autism, nor neurodivergency, full stop, unless it was in the extreme ends of the spectrum. And now there's confusion about that as well, because someone who appears to be high-functioning autistically or with ADHD doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing very well inside. Like your external presentation might not match your internal presentation. And that's the conundrum. So now there are some people in this country who are now becoming qualified to specifically identify this. Like you can bring your children to camps, but the person that they're in front of, are they qualified to identify ADHD? Not all of them have been, and they haven't even been in the last 10 years. Okay, so, and in, really? in, in, your, in your own use, you, you had a couple of factors playing against you as well, because by, mm-hmm. your, by your own admission, you came from a very unstructured background. Can you explain yes, that? Because I certainly can. Well, look, if you if you look at it holistically, Mick, right, on the bigger picture, we know that ADHD and neurodivergency is a genetic condition, right? We also know that with these, this type of condition can come all kinds of issues, emotionally, um, socially, shame-wise, addiction issues, all of those things are feeding into into these types of families. I'm not saying that, and that, and I don't mean to stereotype all families with these issues because that's not the truth. But in my own life, this was present. And so that caused another element of chaos. But there's plenty of people who come from wonderful homes, you know, where their parents were very engaged, were incredibly engaged around them, and they still wouldn't have had the tools to identify ADHD and autism. I fell under, you know... Um, the radar for for these things because I was never consistently in one place for any period of time. You could say that was an issue. But equally, I could have been in a very loving home that I wouldn't have been identified. But what didn't help in that situation for me, certainly, Mick, was when I was in school and I was being bullied and I was being beaten up or I was being harassed by my teachers or I was being alienated or separated or made feel like I was dumb, you know, confused and, and I wasn't getting support. I didn't have anyone to come home and talk to about. So that made it all the more difficult, absolutely. And I internalised an awful lot of it that I was a bad kid, I wasn't good enough because I'd be in class and I'm super, like involved in what the teacher would say and she'd be saying on a project oh, and you've got to go research this and get copies of that and I'd be oh yeah 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 I'll be all into it and then I'd get home I'd sit down to do my homework and none of the information was retained in my brain none of it was there and then I didn't have anyone to talk to and I was scared to say oh look this happens and I don't remember because they'd be like oh I want you listening in class you know um, and it would look again like a moral or some kind of um, kind of defiance on my behalf 
that. Like, is that, is that, that, that often uh, a, a sort of a soft cop-out then for any psychologist or psychiatrist you might encounter? In that, ah, you had an unstructured use. That's, that explains things. Well, it, cert- it certainly doesn't help. I mean, I spoke to one um, psychologist recently and she, her words, her, these were her words to me. She said, Louise, you've been gaslit by an entire system the medical system your entire life. You have always known something was going on with you. They kept telling you something wasn't. That's they were her words. And I can't say I disagree with that. But on the same time, I'm not getting into the blaming or shaming of systems because people can't give you what they don't have. If they don't have the information, they don't have the backup, they're not aware, what can they do for you? And it is, I mean, it is more difficult. Like, say, for instance, you've got somebody like JJ who comes in and he's like, he's, he's, he's tried to do his best all his life. And he's found himself going down a path where, you know, it's gone out of hand for him out of whack. And he's managing himself through different, different ways. And he's just doing his best to get by. Of course, people can look at that and make a moral judgment and say, oh, you know, that's just down to the fact that this guy's a drinker. Well, no. I mean, what's causing that to begin with? What's, what's, what's driving that? What's, What's creating that? That's what I would ask as an, an intellectual person. I would say, what, not saying that I'm just intellectual, but if I was on the professional end, I'd be asking what's underneath it. Um, you know, there is a very high suicide risk within ADHD. The numbers are out of control. You've got to admire J- JJ for a number of things. Number one is bravery to come on the air. Number two, the fact that he's trying to stay in recovery uh, and not use the alcohol yes, and drugs yes. that have so afflicted him uh, as, as crutches. Mm-hmm at this stage yeah. but you know number three I, I think I know what's wrong with me I just need some help in the diagnosis here so I may be able to afford yeah. the medication on a medical card or whatever yeah look and, and JJ will get there and, and what I'd say to, to JJ is that look you're part of an entire community of people who love you accept you and want you you'll, see, you'll be seen and you'll be heard and you're accepted no one here is judging you you don't have to have any shame for anything and you know you're a completely valid person there is 150,000 people in Ireland with ADHD 150,000 5% of our population there's nothing wrong with having ADHD there is nothing actually wrong with you you're neurodivergent other people the other 95% of people are neurotypical that does not mean there's something wrong what's gone wrong is we have tried to fit into a system that does not work for us and as soon as you're around people who get you, who understand you, and you learn to self-advocate, i.e., like when Keith goes out with his missus, you know, one thing I've done is I go, okay, I'm going out to a restaurant. I'm having, I want to, I want to concentrate on a conversation I'm having with you, Mick. So I'll say, let come, do you mind if we move away from where the staff are, where all the chinking and clinking is going on, and let's ask for a quiet table in the corner. Now, I'm going to ask you to sit towards the room, and I'm going to sit towards you. I'm only concentrating on you, that I can tune into your words. Because people with ADHD, it's not that they're not paying attention. The problem is they're noticing everything, everything. And they can't process it all. It's called the Ferrari brain with no brakes. So people need to get their heads around that we are not incapable. We just find it hard to focus on the one thing. And society puts you in a situation where down in a chair for eight hours a day in a classroom. A lot of us are leaving classrooms and we're going into you know, the world of IT now and we're working from home or we're working in office. Down. You know, we were an industrial country, you know, a more farming country. We've now gone into this more kind of tech era 
and it just doesn't suit some people. So you seem very happy and people. confident in your own head, Louise. Do, do you do the Ed Sheeran thing at all and go off and write songs if you feel under pressure? <laughs> do you know what it is, Mick? Though the huge part of it is now I know what's happening. You know, I know what's going on with me. I know what how my brain is working. I can ask for help, and I have to come to love and like and accept myself. I didn't feel any of those things prior to my diagnosis. Well, good for you. I was just utterly confused about what was going on. I thought I had major character defects. I thought something, you know, intrinsically was wrong with me. I thought that it was a moral, you know, defect on my behalf, why I couldn't maintain, keep connections and relationships, why I would act out this way for a few days every month. Like, I remember going into my GP and saying to him, you need to put me on volume for at least five days a month. And he laughed. He thought this was hilarious. I mean, I probably came in with a bit of sense of humor and said it like that and probably didn't relay how bad things were. But now... You know, I'm able to make sure, like, I have cut out my period completely. This is very personal information. But I'm going to be honest and open about it. And I have spoke with the world specialist, with my GP, and we decided that's the route I would take so I wouldn't have to go through this anymore. Um, So in all of that, what's happened for me, Mick, is I've learned to trust myself again. Okay. That's the key thing. I've learned to trust myself. And it's all got to begin with you. And for people like Roz that are out there who've got young people in their lives, this has nothing to do with you. It's like your, your, your children are born per- perfectly wonderful as they are. They're perfectly amazing kids. All they need is a little break. And I would strongly advise you to speak to other adults, you know, and see uh, like what they were like as teenagers and how they were and, and say uh, and ask them. what. be, what ni- be nice if we can get you all together, all, all the participants in this morning's programme on Wednesday evening in, yeah, in, in North Main Street. Yeah, community centre going on. And I'm sorry for those out there who've never heard about ADHD and they're like, oh, this is a lot of <laughs> information. This about? There's on dog and blood, bloody periods and all the rest. But look, the way I, I put it to other people and even on the ADHD support groups that ADHD, the charity run, you know, I, I was in a group one day with a few members and there was mostly guys there and I said look this is really embarrassing but I want to bring this conversation up because we know this is um, this runs in families and we know this is genetic so most of you have a sister of course you have a mother you're going to have um, a niece you're going to have um, you know maybe a daughter and I would just like you to know to be aware and to look out for this because it's um, something that's so easily solvable and it's something that's so easily helped and supported and you know I would hate to think of any young girl going through what I went through, or any woman um, in her life going through just now or any woman having a baby and going through post um, natal depression and wondering what's going on and you know and knowing if she has the information prior like it can be life changing to her to her family so it's um, it's an area that I feel very passionate about. I can tell, and you've been oh, a breath of fresh air, Louise. <laughs> Louise Barry, did you ever meet? Did you ever meet Paul McCartney at that school? No. Uh, well, Paul comes um, at the end every year, and he actually does give out um, people's degrees and loans to them. Yeah, so yeah, we all get to meet him when we graduate. Okay, <laughs> g- g- give us something of the quality of the long and winding road, and we'll put you back on. You can sing it, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a million, Louise Barry. Thanks, cheers, thank uh, bye-bye. Now, uh, thank you for holding Richie. Richie's on WhatsApp. We don't have many calls on WhatsApp, so let's see what this is like. Hi, Richie, how are you? Hi, not too bad at all, Mick. How are you keeping? I'm good. Now, you were put in jail on remand last week for traffic offences. 
Oh, traffic offences, yeah. And um, I have I have ADHD, but they put they put me on. Um, and number one, just just to just to start off the conversation, um, your last caller there, Louise, I think it was absolutely fabulous how open she was about everything. Yeah, especially you know personal issues yeah. and personal body issues. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, I wouldn't have. You're honest enough problems. yourself. You're honest enough yourself, Richie, to, uh, to open your text. I was put yeah. in jail on remand but, um, last week. Yeah, but uh, the, the, in, in fairness, now when, when, when you when you go in with, with with these problems, you go into prison. You expect it's just going to be treated like crap, you know. But you're not. There was an officer for the life of me. I can't remember her name, and if I could remember her name, I would mention her. Um, Put me on, put me on a dose of. I, I was explaining to her. You know, I sleep maybe three, four hours a night. My brain is my brain never stops. It's and it's just stupid, stupid stuff going through it all the time. Paranoia, everything going through it all the time. And they put they put me on a dose of Librium, a thymine, and vitamin B. And after about after about two nights inside, I was I I was sleeping. I was actually getting a proper night's sleep. So I mean that there is help there if if you go to the right people and speak to them properly about it. As Louis as Louise was saying, speak speak to them properly about it and express your opinion and don't don't hold back. There there, there is loads of help there for so, you. So a couple of points. E, even in a prison scenario, it must have it must have been a short remand if we were in last week and you're talking to us now. Uh, I was only I, I was only in for a week. I was only in for a week. That was it. Okay, but your brain was but running the, 120 miles an hour. The, may, maybe the, may, I'm, I'm not doing the prison service a disservice here, but maybe the last place you expect to get the actual uh, help that you need and the exact help you need is is in that scenario. But you got it. I will actually turn around and I will I will say to you this second. And I will thank Judge McNulty for doing it because he actually opened my eyes. Judge McNulty reminded me and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. In what way? And um, I went in and I explained to them. They they asked me questions and I was was quite honest with them. And I I answered their questions. I answered them honestly. And the nurse turned around to me. The nurse that was, you know, you you have to see a nurse before you're put in, before you're put down into the, the landings. And I was totally honest with her and she said, well, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. They were absolutely brilliant. And the the, the drug the drugs they put me on were Librium, Thymine and Vitamin vitamin D. Okay, so and Librium is a short-term drug. It's used apparently for, uh, as a short-term remedy to treat anxiety disorders, uh, but also to treat symptoms of acute alcohol withdraw- withdrawal and to relax patients, yeah. sometimes before surgery. Now, this is a benzodiazepine, so it can be very, very addictive, uh, and you can't and shouldn't use it without prescription, of course. Uh, so is it the alcohol where your problems are? Uh, is is that... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh geez, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's the alcohol. I, I, sure, I, know, I know my problem, like, but the the, the, prob- the problem was with, with all this, with the ADHD and with... With everything, there's an off, there's an off, there's an off lot of other stuff that goes on. As Louise was just saying there, there's an off lot of other stuff that runs through your head that you don't realise what's going on, and a, a very, a very, a, a very important, a very important fact that she made was you're you're inside in the bar, you you're hearing everything, you can hear everyone talking, you know everything that's going on, it, it, and you can actually become paranoid over it. So you know, is, is and, alcohol um, is that is alcohol in that sense your sleeping tablet? Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. That's there's there's no there's no point in saying anything else. Yes. Okay, and what happened when you came out of custody? 
Um, honest truth, came out of custody, we went straight to the pub. First stop the pub. First stop the pub. Is, is, is there a social element to that that's maybe lacking in the, in the spinning brain, or is, or is it? Do, do you think um, you're you're you're, yeah. you're just hopelessly addicted to alcohol? Well, I I know I'm I know I'm hopelessly addicted. I mean that 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 goes without that goes without saying. But I I don't know the, the social factor. Of course, I mean I mean I I know people that can go that can go to the pub and that have issues like this, and they can sit down and drink. Well, let me ask you: Did you go to a favourite pub or the first pub outside the prison gates? Well, the first we we went we had all there was Travis went there was Travis on remand and the Travis knew we were getting out and we had all plan made, you know. So we just we just went to a pub just below just below um Skibbery, and um we 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 just went to the pub we just went to the pub for a pint and it was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. But the reason the reason the reason I'm coming on here saying this is that um number one. That that week, that week on remand, and the 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 regiment, the regiment of drugs they put me on. There is laws to help out there, but you just need to ask for it. If if, 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 if you were on those drugs it, it, today, would would it be very difficult to mix that with alcohol? I know they're going to be highly addictive because they're benzodiazepines. But um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm 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 not a doctor, so I wouldn't be able yeah. to answer that question. But um, no, I mean. And I, I feel for everyone that's been on this morning about this. I feel for every one of them, and I know how, I know how it feels like. But the thing is, there is the point I want to put through is that there is help there. There is help there. You just have to have the. Would you accept, Richie? And and I think I would contend that you're helping yourself here because I can tell you one thing: it's a lot harder to do what you're doing now, talking to me, than it is to be in the pub having a pint. It is, but come here at at, at the same time, Mick. Come come three o'clock, I'd probably be in the pub having a pint. And you resigned to that, are you? I am. I'm no, no. I'm going to. I'm going to go further about it. I'm my GP. I'm going getting. I got onto my GP. We're going having a look at things, and um, I, I, I'm travelling down the road where I actually need treatment, and I need yeah. serious treatment. Would you find any any but, solace or any recourse uh, in the AA? Um, I've been to, been to I've been to a few meetings from time to time. Um, I'm not one for opening up. You know, I don't I don't I I'm I'm a, I'm a very private kind of a person. I don't open up that much. Um, but it's coming to the point where I I'm actually after seeing the I'm after, I'm actually after seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. No, I'm after darkening the light, and I done that myself. But like I said, and. I don't want to keep repeating myself here. I just want people to know that there there is light. There is light at the end of the tunnel. If 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 you look for it and go to the right people, there is light there, and you have people there. And I have to highly respect Louise, your last speaker there, even. And I'm sure, I, I'm sure a woman like that would actually sit down and talk with you. Would go for a cup of tea with you and sit down and talk. You know. I don't think you have so any there, idea, there Richie. Is, how there, there how, how, how many there. people are highly respecting you right now? I it it doesn't it doesn't bother me. But you should take it. Um, take t- take no, no, take it, the it, good it, vibes it, that are coming your way. Because you, I I think it, you're it, taking it, the first step towards acceptance. You know you're you're yeah, coming you on telling to, you your story to help others, and and that's a that's a big yeah. big first step. You know. Yeah, you know you have to. I mean, I mean we all we we all have troubles. I mean we all we all have troubles. Life life at the moment isn't easy, and um, we all 
we all have different levels. We all have different levels of troubles. Some of us are financial, some of us are alcoholics, some of us are drug addicts. Um, I, but I think it's important to get it out there that there, there, there are people around that will sit down and that will talk to you and will say, look, I've been, I, I'm going through, I'm being through it or I, I'm going through it. It doesn't make a difference. Being through it would obviously be better. I'm going through it is a help. And there's sponsors out there. There's 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 loads of help out there. People just need to they have to stop blaming everyone. They have to stop blaming everything else and look at themselves and say, "This is my problem." Richie, there, there must be nothing as mentally harrowing as your brain running 120 miles an hour, to use your own words, uh, right through the night uh, and not allowing you to sleep. There's an eternity in that that's difficult to comprehend. I remember it happened to me once over two nights. Uh, absolutely no sleep and and the brain thinking about a thousand different things at, at the side. I was eventually diagnosed with pneumonia, went to hospital, it was sorted uh, and never happened again, but it was hell on earth. The eternity of those nights yeah. is, is something that's hard to describe and you're doing yeah. that every night. And, 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 and there's, I mean, that, that, that happened to you once, Mick. That happened to you once, Mick. Imagine, imagine if that's happening to you every night of the week. Can't begin to no, understand no, how, how how you're even functioning. No, 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 no break. You know, no, no break. It's happening to you every night of the week, and you self-diagnose. I self-diagnose. I I've curling. I self-diagnose with curling. That how many, how many pints a day? Hours. How many pints a day? Oh, jeez, I'd be doing over ten pints a day, like. Okay, is it unfair at, of me at, to ask? Is my, that how you got in trouble? Ease. Is that how you ended up in jail? Well, sure, I ended up in jail because of drink driving. Another admission, another acceptance. You know, and there was, there was, I didn't There was a laundry list. No, again, I must, I must put my head out, Mister McNulty, Judge McNulty. I'll, a lot of people will call him different names. He actually saved my life because he actually made me realise that. Well, I think whatever happens today, Richie, whatever happens today, and you, you say you'll probably be, be in the pub by three o'clock. You, you'll remember Judge McNulty and that sentence and, oh, yes. and the good it did you. As being oh, yes. probably the eventual turning point in your life, if not the lowest point, yeah. the turning point. Yeah, no, no. I, I but see, this is this is this is the thing, Mick. I mean, I probably I probably haven't hit rock bottom yet, and some people need to hit rock bottom. I mm. probably haven't done that yet because I've got good friends, I've got good family. I have I haven't hit rock bottom yet, but it 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 is it is going to happen. But Judge McNulty, again, I'm going to use his name just. Judge McNulty, he really opened my eyes when he put when he put me away, and it just made and the nurses and the, the medical staff above in Cork Prison were so nice and they were they were all lovely. The GP and everything, they said, well, "I'm going to do this for you now. This is what we're going to do for you, and see how this works." Do you know and something, it, Richie? It, there's it, it there's about seventy or eighty thousand more people rooting for you now. Yeah, there's um, I mean, to 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 was to, to absolutely fantastic and um. I just I I would just like to let people know out there and my my WhatsApp number you, you have it there on file my WhatsApp number yes if anyone is having if anyone's having these problems I'm going to show it myself if anyone would ever like to give give me a call and talk talk about the same situation how I'm go, how I'm going to show it how I'm dealing with it not I not not no to help you but so that you might help somebody else is it it's not not helping me I I I look after myself I will look I will look after myself I I can only do what I can do. For myself, but you know there there is there is loads there is loads of help out there, and it's just it's just a matter of asking.
You know, don't don't be don't 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 try to be a big hard man. Just say, look, I have to take my baiting, and that's it. I'm amazed at your big heart and I'm, I'm amazed that you came on and how eloquent you are and, and how open you are about the position you're in. Uh, and I, you know, maybe it's not today, but I hope someday you get to this part of the day and say, you know something, today I'm not going to have a drink. It's part of my problem. Yep, that day will, that, that day will come. There's, there's a bit of work involved, but that day will come. Fantastic. And will you, will you keep in touch? Because I, I would love to keep up with your progress and, and yeah, to help, will, you, in, course, help you in any way I can. Yeah, of course, of course. Okay, Richie, I no salute problem. you. I okay, salute you, my you friend. Much, thank you so much. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks, Richie. It was calls like that that um, make this whole job worthwhile sometimes. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, the HSC have a confidential helpline. Uh, it's one 800 Four five nine four five nine. If any of the issues we've discussed uh, have affected you, one eight hundred four five nine four five nine. That line is open Monday to Friday between half past nine in the morning and half past five in the evening. And if you do want to get in, in touch with Alcoholics uh, Anonymous, if uh, Richie's conversation with me has resonated with you, uh, happy to give you their number as well. It's oh one eight four two zero seven hundred oh one eight four two zero seven hundred. But the HSE once again have a confidential helpline. 1-800-459-459 half nine and half, uh, to half five it's open each and every weekday Monday to Friday Talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818-104-106 Cork's Red FM I always get blamed for not doing the housekeeping so let's do some right now the uh, text that came through are voluminous today uh, we have a very busy programme so I didn't get to uh, any of the texts so far I mentioned the Navy in the uh, paper review who's going to man these boats uh, when they can't get a crew for the ones tied up uh, Hi Mick do you think we'll be able to crew them Going by the latest info, they cannot send some of the current vessels out to sea due to a shortage of personnel, says Sean. Hi, Mick. Please give a shout-out to Carrick Tool under, uh, United Girls uh, Under-14s who won the double yesterday, winning the league last week and the cup yesterday. And a huge congratulations to our under-15 boys who've had a phenomenal season, reaching two semi-finals, including the National Cup, winning the league over the weekend and becoming the first team in the club's history to be playing in the Premier League next season. Well done to everyone involved with both teams. Uh, St. Peter and Paul's. I went into uh, St. Peter and Paul's Church, that's on Paul Street, uh, last Friday morning around 11 o'clock. Sitting at the base of the crucifix, opposite the baptismal font, was a young man and his partner or girlfriend. He was administering a substance to her through a needle, which was inserted in a vein above the wrist in her outstretched arm. It was both shocking and sad in equal measure. Our useless politicians and law enforcers have a lot to answer for allowing drug dealers to operate openly on our city streets or indeed in our churches. Uh, we have another batch of text on ADHD. JJ needs to go to his GP or go back to his psychiatrist to get a referral to St. Mary's. I was seen within six months in the public system. I had five or six sessions and it was discovered that I didn't have ADHD, but my issues were as a result of trauma. Um, melatonin is available, by the way, over the counter in the north and everywhere else in Europe, make it's just not available here in Ireland. But uh, as we found out this morning, can be uh, prescribed. On the Sandwich Street, the topic we did with uh, Keith, not sure what the Catholic Church has to do with the refugee situation or Trump. Uh, anyone who has a different opinion on refugees is called racist or far right. Our government now plans legislation to stop 
alternative opinion. Hi Mick, saying all these refugees are fleeing war and persecution makes as much logical sense as saying all these refugees are rapists and murderers. The fact is the guards took weapons, including a samurai sword, out of this camp and this camp housed at least one convicted terrorist who has convictions for kidnapping. Uh, that is uh, unverified, of course. Uh, this is just the opinion of the text. The actions of these Irish men and women likely saved lives. If your caller is going to brand people far right, it behoves them to define it and demonstrate how it applies to these people. Uh, another text, is Mick going to pull up any counter view or is uh, the contributor getting free reign? Uh, hi Mick, uh, how dare he? Our country and freedom is being taken away by this joke of a government. Our country is being flooded with people with no passports or documents and we're meant to sit back and take it, says Mary Jane. And we got a reply from the Alzheimer Society of Ireland in response to Martin. If you remember, sadly, his wife uh, died, passed away with Alzheimer's stroke dementia five months ago. On a previous programme, we spoke to him. So the ASI said they were very sorry to hear about Martin's situation and uh, very sorry to hear his wife had passed away. As the leading dementia-specific service provider in Ireland, we work across the country in the heart of local communities, providing dementia-specific services and supports and advocating for the rights and needs of all people living with dementia and their carers. Each year, the ASI receives in the region of £15 million from the HSE through service legal agreements to run dementia-specific supports up and down the country. The ASI does not receive £15 million yearly from philanthropists. As a Section 39 organisation, the ASI remains deeply reliant on fundraising efforts and the public's uh, generosity to keep our supports and services running. Each year, over €3 million euro needed uh, to, uh, needs to be fundraised to do this. Martin is right that the National Dementia Strategy was introduced in 2014. The HSE's National Dementia Office provides leadership and is responsible for the delivery of the NDS, the National Dementia Strategy. The ASI is committed to providing the following supports and services people to, uh, to people living with dementia and their families. Daycare centres, daycare at home, social clubs, dementia advisor service, training and education. We have a national helpline, 1-800-341-341. That's 1-800-341-341. In Cork, we currently have 46 services available to people living with dementia and their families. Um, we'll, we'll supply a full list of those services on demand. Our Head of Advocacy, Research and Public Affairs, Cormac Cattell, I uh, would happily speak to Martin privately to learn more about his situation. And on our recent uh, call with Richie, oh wow, listening to that gentleman about alcohol has really resonated with me. I drink minimum two bottles of wine every night just to dull the talk in my head and fall asleep. I've tried so hard to stop but end up exhausted and angry. Nobody knows except my husband. I would definitely be a high-functioning alcoholic and it's mortifying. I've tried everything from the AA to medication. You can read these uh, things out, but please don't say my name. Sinead Chadwick is on line two. Good morning, Sinead. Hi, good morning. How are Hi, you? How are you? So, to something completely different. And uh, I know. I, I kind of didn't really want to come on after such, you know, uh, serious no, and look, important topics. It's, it's still important because uh, to all intents and purposes, your heart is in exactly the right place. Two dogs locked into a crate under the full glare of sunny glass on Saturday gone by. Tell us about it. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Um, You know, with all the education and with everybody being asked not to lock their dogs into cars on sunny, hot days, what I saw just really broke my heart. Um, I pulled into a space in Aldi um, and um, there was a van next to the space I pulled into. 
And I noticed a dog in the back. And I checked, was there anyone in with the dog? Couldn't see anyone was in the van. It was like a nine-seater style van. Like a minivan? Um, yeah, like a minivan. There was lots of stuff in it. So I was trying to see, was somebody in with the dog? And the front windows were slightly cracked. Um, so I went about my business. I had my two small boys, I had two boys under five. Um, we went into our shop, came out. I noticed the van was still there. I was a bit distracted, went over to the co-op, came back. So the van was definitely there minimum half an hour. What were temperatures you know? like on Saturday? Saturday was really, really warm. Saturday was, I can't tell you the exact temperature, but it was a very hot day. You know, uh, my boys had shorts and T-shirts on. When I got into my car to go shopping, it was boiling inside the car. How long do you reckon the dogs were there? Well, I don't know how long it was there before I pulled in. Yeah, they were there before you came anyway. Yeah, between the two shops, I was half an hour. And when I came back and I noticed the dog was still there, I went... You know, I, I went closer and then I looked in and it was actually two small, white, fluffy dogs in full sun, panned out and breathing really, really heavily. White and fluffy, you mean like Bichon or something? That type of a little fluffy dog, yeah. I don't know the exact, because I couldn't see, like, they were panned completely, like, stuck to the bottom of the crate, um, breathing really, really heavily. So I said, oh my God. And I was looking around and People were coming and going, and I was hoping the next person would be the owner, the next person. There's no sign of the owner. I tried to open the doors. Nothing would open for me. Um, so I called the guards, not knowing if they could do anything, but my I, my instinct was just to call the guards. And as I was on the phone um, waiting for a call back, you know, I was kind of on hold. This woman came out um, of, of Aldi with her shopping and about five kids. And I said to her, I said, you are so lucky you're here right now. I said, because I'm actually on the phone to the guards. I was so close to breaking that glass. So you didn't melt away into your own car and drive off then. You actually confronted her. I confronted her, yeah. She kind of went, what do you mean? I said, your two dogs are half dead in the back of the car. And she kind of went a bit red and started ignoring me then. I said, this is an absolute disgrace. I said, you're very lucky and you've come out now because I was very close to breaking your, 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 your glass. But she just ignored me then. And I was, you know, conscious that I had my two kids with me. I generally don't like confrontation. So I kind of started shaking myself with the stress of it all. And I got into my car and drove off. And you have to show I your kids of, what's right and wrong. Ironically, though, if you broke the glass and the guards came along, she'd drive off and you'd be arrested. It. That's it, you see. That's it. But at the end of the day, they were in dire straits. Like, they were panting. Their heart, I could see their chests going up and down and up and down. And they were completely panned out because the back of her her van was like the sun was coming in at the back of the van where they were so they were literally like may have just been in a, a greenhouse okay um, so if, if your children were getting a lesson in, in what's right and wrong uh, by by your interaction how did um did that woman's children react well when i went to drive off the older boy i think maybe seven or eight went bye now <laughs> Didn't care. Didn't give a damn that the two dogs were half dead. She went and opened the boot. I wish I'd stayed around to see how the dogs were. Um, but I, I, in the end, I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to go home. I just couldn't believe it. I was, you know, It's hard to know what to do in that type of situation. Because mm. the, fir- know, the, fir- um, the first, first thing you're going to get 
someone from someone who doesn't care is, would you go and mind your own business? Yeah, exactly. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, if we all minded our own business, could you imagine the state uh, the world would be in? Mm. You know, somebody has to speak up, especially for animals. Somebody has to speak up and be a voice for them. They're literally because cooking. I mean, They're literally cooking in the car. And if you wouldn't leave a baby, and no, you wouldn't yeah, anyway. I, you wouldn't. You wouldn't leave a baby unattended and go into a shop. But if you know, if, if if you wouldn't leave a baby while you queued up, for instance, at an ice cream um, vendor, uh, and you, you know you're full sight of the car, if if you wouldn't leave a baby in there, why would you leave a dog in there for an extended period? But even I, I got into my car to go shopping, and it was sweltering, and my two boys were open the windows or turn on the aircon, you know. Yeah. So those poor dogs in full sun for that amount of time, and I just couldn't believe it. Do you know what I mean? Like it was the dogs weren't sitting up and panting. They were like stuck to the bottom of the crate. Um, like with their heart rate, you could see their chests were going up and down really fast. No well, water, let's, no Let's shade. hope their ordeal will serve as a reminder to other people who may own dogs that uh, we're getting into the temperature times of the year when this can be fatal for animals exactly. uh, to die from yeah. a heat stroke very quickly uh, in the back yeah. of a car or van, especially and when the sun is out. Hopefully she'll think again before doing something like that yes. because... She could have lost them. They could have died if she'd have been any longer. I don't understand how anyone could could do that. Well, well done for doing what you did, Sinead Chadwick, and well done for coming on the air and hopefully preventing it from happening again. Appreciate okay. that. Cheers. Thanks thank you. for taking the call. Bye. Morning. Bye. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 Four and a half minutes to 12 midday, wrapping up the show. This is Mick Mulcahy. We asked, did you and your work crew need a Monday pick-me-up to start the week on a high, a sugar high, and hit the sweet spot? We asked you to text in or WhatsApp us, and we promised that the Patrollers would deliver five boxes to a business every Monday, 60 donuts, including classic glaze, caramel crumble, red velvet, Nutella ring, offbeats jam, and many more. This is with Offbeat Donuts, and you'll find their store if you want to visit uh, on French Church Street. Uh, hi, Mick. I'd like to put shipping solutions forward for the Monday Munchies, please. They're the hardest uh, working group of people all year round, led by the over-generous Andrea. For all us lads in Dasher in Little Island working flat out, we'd love them for my mam Gillian that works for Home Help and works really hard. Damien here from Foley's Plumbing. We would love uh, the donuts to give us a boost and help us to keep cork warm. Uh, we would love the offbeat donuts here in PepsiCo in Little Island to help us with the Monday blues. So says Mia. And the winner is... This one. We'd love the donuts for all us labourers working in the old Clifton convalescent home in Montanati. Uh, there are labourers because the place isn't open. The place is opening Tuesday week and we're all working hard towards that deadline so that the Ukrainians will have suitable accommodation to stay in. That's picked at random. Uh, thank you. So all of the labourers working in the old Clifton convalescent home in Montanati, we have offbeat donuts coming your way. The Monday munchies will be delivered by the patrollers and... Uh, you'll get up to 60 donuts in massive varieties from uh, the store on French Church Street for offbeat donuts. Caramel crumble, classic glazed red velvet, Nutella rings and much, much more. Absolute pleasure to present the Neil Prandival Show this morning. Thanks to the sterling efforts of our producers. And that's Kevin Galvin, Seamus Whelan and Claire O'Connor. Talk to you tomorrow morning. Have a great day. And um, we've got news at 12 next. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.